against children. In a speech in London later, Mr Starmer will outline lessons that need to be learned from the Jimmy Savile scandal and cases of child sexual exploitation. He's expected to say that the accounts of victims have been treated too cautiously. The head of corporate affairs at the NSPCC, Alan Wardle, says he hopes it will mean children will be better protected by the justice system. We know that it's very difficult for children to come forward. We've seen people who've been taken decades to do that and you know encouraging children to come forward and making them think that they'll be taken seriously and that they're not going to be crucified by the whole process as as they go through the criminal justice system is really important in helping tackle the scourge of child sexual abuse in this country. Two men have been charged in connection with an alleged plot to attack a police station in Londonderry with mortar bombs. The men, aged 35 and 37, were arrested on Sunday night and will appear in court this morning. MPs will decide later whether to accept controversial new plans for new subsidies to burn trees and plants in UK power stations. Ministers are hoping they'll help meet Britain's EU commitment on renewable energy. The cost of a funeral in Wellin and Hatfield could be about to go up by 36%. As part of the local authorities' budget plans, all elements of the funeral will cost more, with even the cost of scattering ashes set to rise from £220 to £250. More than three quarters of a million households in the UK are spending 25% of their weekly budget just running a car. Government figures obtained by the RAC Foundation show it's costing the poorest families most of their disposable income. The Chancellor George Osborne's under pressure to cut fuel tax in the budget later this month. In sport, rain has washed out the first day of the test series between New Zealand and England in Dunedin. New Zealand won the toss and asked the tourists to bat, but no play was possible at the University Oval. The weather, cloudy but mostly dry, with a top temperature of 11 degrees Celsius. That's 52 degrees Fahrenheit. There's more news and sports online at bbc.co.uk slash threecounties. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. It's National Ma- Happy National Maths Day, Catherine! Yay! I'm going to be testing you... Oh, th- don't! I'm, I'm go- really bad at maths. It, that's Well, that's the reason. I shall be <laughs> testing you throughout the show with some maths questions, OK? Oh. Hope you've done your homework. I haven't. Yeah, there we go. That'll learn you. Happy National Maths Day. No, International Maths Day. See, it's world... I don't know if it's international or national. Let's just call it Maths Day, shall we? Happy Maths Day. I hope you got your cards out in time. I'm looking forward to mine arriving. Why would you have a Maths Day? I, I, I don't know, but we're, we're celebrating it with maths. Justin Dealey is out and about in the three counties asking you maths questions. If you see him, I would probably run away today. I'd... Lots coming up on the show. As always, keen to get your uh, opinions on these things. Some of the things we've got include... We're going to hear the story of a Hatfield nurse whose father was put on the Liverpool Care Pathway. That's the, the, the kind of package that you enter when you're you're heading towards the end of your life and people are perhaps trying to help you get there. She says that the family wasn't consulted. He was left without water, food or oxygen support for the last eight days of his life. It's an incredible story and we'll hear more about that in a few minutes. As I said, modern childhood now ends at just 12 years old, according to a report out today. It's in all the papers. Do you think kids are growing up too quickly? And my TV's on the blink. Right, I've kind of ignored it, but the last few days, the sound's been going. I've had it for five years. What? I don't know what to do. Do I get it repaired? Or do I buy a new one? The TV repairmen still exist. I remember in the 70s, we had a TV repairman round almost every other week. 
He'd come round, unscrew the back of the telly, whack a bit, put some bulbs in or something, I don't know, put a tube in, close it, and we'd get, we'd get the picture. And then a week later, it would go again. What do I do? Do I get the TV repairman round? Or in this throwaway culture, do I just chuck it and buy a new one? Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text, 3CR. Or, look, all of the phone lines are free. If I could give away a prize for the first caller, I would. I can't. Oh, I can't do that. Thanks, Jonathan Ross and Russell Brand. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. A nurse from Hatfield, whose father died on the Liverpool Care Pathway in Addenbrooke's hospital, is complaining that he was left without water, food or oxygen for the last eight days of his life. Bob Gould, a retired factory manager, had been critically ill with a broken back and bleeding on his brain after falling down the stairs at his home in Stevenage. He was transferred from Lister Hospital in Stevenage to the critical care unit at Addenbrooke's, where he spent two weeks before being placed on the pathway. Susan Phillips, who works as a hospital nurse, told our reporter Julian Sturdy that although her father's long-term prognosis was poor, he should not have been put on the pathway without consultation and he wasn't ready to die. During the time when he was in the neuro-CCU, he did, when he was weaned off a bit more of the sedation, actually give non-verbal indications that he was actually hearing what we were saying and understanding what we were saying to him by, you know, nodding and pointing at the tube in and, and at the catheter. He didn't like that. So we did have some sort of hope that actually it wasn't all that bad. Was the family told the point at which your dad was put on the Liverpool Care Pathway? No, it wasn't mentioned. In fact, on the Monday after the tube came out, my dad was actually speaking and one of the nurses said, oh, he's speaking. And then on the Tuesday, on the Monday night we left him, he was settled, he had oxygen, he was saturating at a level that we'd expect as nurses to maintain his own airway. And then on the Tuesday, I rang up at nine o'clock in the morning and I asked them, Has, is my dad okay? They said, yes, your dad's stable. You do, do not need to come in early. Just come in at one o'clock, normal visiting hours. We did that. The sight that we saw behind those curtains at that time was absolutely horrendous. Everything had been stripped from my dad, even his neck brace for his broken neck. And he was flailing his arms everywhere and looking really, really scared, making awful noises. And I asked the nurse, where's his oxygen? What's happening here? She said, oh, he's on the LCP. She said, he's been on it since 11 o'clock this morning. We were going to speak about it to you when you came up. And the leaflets are just on there. And then she said, I'll send the end-of-life facilitator to come and have a chat with you. There's times in terminal care where people need the Liverpool Care Pathway. Of course, it could be a blessing for some families who, at the end of life have a little bit of help as long as it's done in the right way for the right reasons and the family are informed. How long did it take before your dad died? My dad actually survived with, without any food or water or oxygen for eight days. And the Liverpool Care Pathway had actually been in six, six days. And for you as a family, for you as a nurse, for you as a daughter, but for you as a nurse, what does that tell you? Well, we was expecting him by Thursday, at least, because we were led to believe that death was imminent and it was going to happen quite soon. But unfortunately, when it started to come to Thursday, I started to question and say to my brother that I don't understand what's happening here because Dad's still here, he seems really strong, and he's maintaining his own airway, which he did for eight days after, after being extubated. And um, I couldn't understand. So when I asked the, the, the medical team on the Friday morning 
all three doctors, the house officer, the registrar and the consultant said there was no documentation to say actually why my dad had put on the care pathway. Why are you complaining now? <clears throat> what, what is it that you as a family can get out of complaining? We're really upset that my dad had to die in such an undignified way. I thought the pathway was actually help to help patients die with dignity. And we just like them to admit some liability, that they actually made the wrong decision. They promised that they were going to give my dad the best chance. That was not the best chance that they gave him. And as I said to the doctors, if you give zero, you get zero. And we're looking out for all the other people that are coming behind us that might not have any medical knowledge in their family who just accept the fact that what the doctors say because you expect them to be doing the right thing by your family when they're in hospital, they're in their care, that you shouldn't have to be chasing them up and asking them questions and that family should be explained to why they're going on the LCP and actually involved in the discussion. We were just... Oh, sorry, wrong fader there. I do apologise. Susan Phillips, whose father, Bob Gould, died on the Liverpool Care Pathway. We'll be talking to Susan later live in the show. You can see the full story on Look East tonight uh, when Stuart White will be interviewing Adam Brooks, chief executive. Uh, 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text 81333. I know you're gonna 
So this TV, do I get it repaired or do I chuck it? I don't know. I don't know if TV repairmen exist anymore. Anthony Walker on uh, Twitter says, you can just hand it back if it's within five years and they have to replace it. Oh, I don't... Listen, I know on the radio I'm, I'm Billy Big Boots, right? And I, I can do all this arguing with councillors and, and putting people in their places like that. Me taking something back to a shop? No, 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 no. I can't do it. I can't do it. And also, it may have been six years. I don't know. Uh, Wendy says, I'm wondering what sort of TV it is. £1,200 five years ago. Does it make the T2? Well, no, it was a big plasma, and, and it, they were quite expensive back then. It was when they were still comparatively new. So it's, no, it's nothing, it's 42 inches. It's nothing fancy. You know, it's, it's not as fancy as these ones you get these days. Sarah says, repair. Ours cost £90 to repair. So much cheaper than a new one. I don't... Really? Do TV repairments... £90 sounds very cheap. If the fella can do it for 90 quid, I'm worried, though. I'm going to phone up and there'll be, yeah, be, uh, that's a £150 call outfit. 08459 455555. 555. I guess what I'm looking for today is your TV repair stories. Did you repair them? Did you chuck the TV out? I'm also really hoping that by 9 o'clock this morning, we can speak to an actual genuine TV repairman. 08459 555555. 6.15, here's the travel news now. Sophie Tyler... Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. We're all looking good out there at the moment on the sensors. No major problems to be updating you with. Looks like it's all moving nicely, particularly on the motorways, the M25 and the M1 in particular, moving well. Usual delays not yet causing a problem around the A405 at the North Orbital Road. And the trains are also looking good on the departure boards as well. No problems to be updating you with there. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Sophie. Morning, it's nearly 6.16. It's Wednesday, the uh, 6th of March. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. A Hatfield nurse is speaking out after Addenbrooke's hospital staff put her father on the Liverpool Care pathway without consulting the family. The Director of Public Prosecutions, Keir Stammer, is to announce an overhaul of the way police and prosecutors deal with allegations of sexual offences against children. In sport, rain has washed out the first day of the test series between New Zealand and England in Dunedin. And the weather today for beds, hearts and bucks, cloudy but mostly dry with a top temperature of 11 degrees. Coming up, before 6.30, modern childhood now ends at just 12 years of age. That's according to a report out today. What do you think? Are kids growing up too quickly? 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Every weekday from three, Roberto Peroni with the best local news stories. There's a sporting story emerging. Paul Buckle has left Luton Town Football Club by mutual consent. The owners of the Centre MK have withdrawn a part of an application regarding the Primark development. Local talking points. The Hertfordshire Police and Crime Commissioner, Mr David Lloyd, has a plan to get sponsorship for police cars. The best local travel. There's been another day of disruption on the Thameslink line today. We were alive, evacuating something train and we had to go back to Ratchet and now we're waiting for the bus. Roberto Peroni, every weekday from three on BBC Three Counties Radio. Some 
this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. And I'd like to hear your opinion on this. Mums and dads and grandparents, have a listen. Because apparently children are growing up too quickly. That's according to Net Mums, who conducted a study of over a 1,000 parents of children aged between 7 and 13. Their research found that 89% of parents say kids are growing up faster than a generation ago. But is that really the case? Fiona Wyatt is from Family and Youth Concern. Morning, Fiona. Good morning. What do you think of this report? Are kids growing up too quickly? Uh, the report doesn't surprise me. But I think that uh, I think that they are picking up on something, and I'm quite surprised to hear that the percentage of 89% from their what they selected, and I think that that actually is one of the problems that kids have is because if you've got a few people say who are growing up too quickly, then you can cope with it. But when it looks like the majority around you are living one way and your parents feel you should live a different way, it makes it very difficult for the child. But so are are they growing up more quickly? Because in some ways they have more freedoms, but in other ways they have less freedoms. Well, that is true. But the more freedoms is in terms of, you know, the kind of stuff they watch on on the television. They have so many children now have computers in their rooms. They have mobile phones. At the very, I mean, we're talking at junior school age now, where mobile phones isn't just about ringing mum and dad because you might be late at school or something, but it's, you know, all the other stuff that goes with your mobile phone. So they have a lot of access to stuff which is really um, adult life and not always good adult life either. But on the other hand, the freedoms that they should have to be able to you know, go down in the woods and muck around and all that, other freedoms that they don't have. So, in one sense, we're robbing them of what children should have, but giving them a whole load of stuff that really is not for them. We were talking about this yesterday in the office, and um, someone said, oh, the kids kids these days got more freedom. I said, well, uh, in, in the respect that when I was seven, eight years old, I could go and play you know, up to about half a mile away from my house on my own or with my mates. Mm. And y- most parents wouldn't even let a 12-year-old out on their no. their own nowadays, would they? No. What no. damage do you think that's doing to children? Well, I do think that's doing damage to children. I do think it would be good for children to have more freedom. But I think part of the reason that children don't is not because they can't. It's because we're all frightened. That's, that's the bottom of it, really, that we, we're... The children are told stranger danger, which is another thing that I don't agree with, actually. But anyway, it's another story. Oh, no, no, Fiona, there are paedophiles hiding behind every dustbin and every car. Well, you know that, don't of you? Of course, don't we realise? And I think that's, that is the problem. You know, if children were told, yes, you know, um, Enid Blyton style, you know, take your, take your packed lunch down to the woods with you and have a good time with your mates down there, that would be a much better place for them to be than sitting watching all kinds of of stuff at home, stuck in their rooms, and getting all kinds of fanciful ideas. When I was growing up, there was a, there was an advert on the TV. It was a young, I remember it very well. It was a young Keith Chegwin being approached by a bloke in a car. And the bloke said, "Do you want to get in the car and have some sweets?" And Cheggers went, "No, thanks." And that was all the education we needed. It was just kind of a simple, "Don't talk to strangers." But nowadays, the, the, people are terrified because you see the front page of the newspapers is always paedophiles, paedophiles. There aren't more paedophiles than there were thirty years ago. No. It's just it's reported differently. No, and also I think the other thing is that actually it's often not strangers who cause trouble to children. Well, exactly, yes. And and I think it's more important to tell children the things that they should look out for. You know, like things like if if this if somebody says to you, 
don't tell your mum and dad. Actually, that's a warning signal. Mm. Like you say, you know, if you get in my car, I'll give you some sweets. You know, don't get in a car with somebody you don't know. But on the other hand, I don't see any reason why you and I, you know, I've seen maybe children that I know, mm. um, I don't know, sort of a mile away from home for whatever reason, or maybe, I mean, you know, you say, you know, would you like a lift? Is there any reason why I can't give them a lift? You know, it just seems ridiculous, really, that they children can grow up frightened of people that they should trust. It's, you know, it's, it's interesting. My, my, I've got a little boy who's three, and the other day we were coming out of playgroup, and he ran off, and he ran off quite some distance away from me towards uh, a road. Not a particularly busy road, but it was a road, and he ran around mm. the corner. I couldn't see him. And three women, very kindly, sort of stood in his way to try and stop him. But not one of them grabbed him. No. Not one of them grabbed him for, for fear of whatever. I don't know, they thought I was going to have it shout at them or whatever. And I w- really wish that one of them would have grabbed him. Exactly. And I know I was, I was having a cup of tea once um, at a garden centre and a little child came out again, who was about three, crying her eyes out. And we all looked at each other. What should we do? It's a three-year-old. I said, blow what everybody thinks. I got up, took her by the hand, yep. said to her, what's the matter? How can I help you? And whatever. Because I just think... We've got to treat children well, yep. and we've got to stop be frightened of them. Really. There's one of the problems as well, I would assume. I've got boys, so this is, I, I, and I'm kind of kind of relieved about this, but, but you do see, for, for girls, 10, 11, 12-year-old girls, quite sexy clothing exactly. for sale, which yes. is completely inappropriate, isn't it? It is, and also the girls are not educated to know why they shouldn't be in those clothes. Mm. They don't understand it. They're not told why. We don't. We tell children all kinds of things, but we don't really fully educate them into the consequences of things either. We can't change this, can we, Fiona? It's gone too far now. We can't go back, can we? Well, uh, you know, it's quite good to hear something like Mum's Net saying things like this, because I think that that has a broad hearing, doesn't it? And I think as parents, it could get us all focused. I mean, my children are grown up now, but it gets us all focused on what am I doing with my children? How important are my children to me? And also whether, you know, parents can say, well, actually, yeah, all our kids are going down to the woods to play without us and not having what I call supervised play. Fiona, fascinating. Thank you very much. That's Fiona Wyatt from uh, Family and Youth Concern. What do you think? Are kids growing up too fast? It's that thing, isn't it? We don't let 12-year-olds out to play on their own. We're 25, 30 years ago, we would. And yet, most of them have got a machine in their pocket that allows them to watch pornography. Not saying they all are, but it's available to them. That They can access anything from their telephones. 08459 455 555. Are kids growing up too quickly? And what would you do to change that? One day you'll look to see I've gone for tomorrow me I'll follow the sun Someday you'll know I was the one But tomorrow may rain So I'll follow the sun And now the time has come And so my love I must go
lesson And now the time has come And so my love I must go Sophie with the travel. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Anti-clockwise on the M25, it is currently blocked with stationary traffic due to smoke blowing across the road and a vehicle fire at Junction 15 at the M4. Congestion is back to Junction 16 at the M40 at the moment. All traffic is being held while the fire brigade deal with the incident. It's just before the entry slip road there. Everything else not looking too bad at the moment. Does all seem to be moving nicely elsewhere and the train's still looking good on the departure boards this morning. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Sophie. I really don't know what to with my TV. I've just Googled my TV that cost me 1,200 quid five years ago. £490 now. Oh, I... I buy a new one or get a repairman round. 08459 555555. Here's someone who needs no repairing. That doesn't make any sense. It's the news with Catherine Boyle. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, it's 6.30. The headlines, a Hatfield nurse is speaking out after Addenbrooke's hospital staff put her father on the Liverpool care pathway without consulting her. The Director of Public Prosecutions, Keir Starmer, is to announce an overhaul of the way police and prosecutors deal with allegations of sexual offences against children. And the cost of a funeral in Wellin and Hatfield could be about to increase by 36% as part of the local authority's latest budget plans. Beds, Hearts and Bucks Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. We'll start very briefly with cricket. Rain has washed out the first day of the Test Series between New Zealand and England in Dunedin. Manchester United, meanwhile, are out of the Champions League, beaten 2-1 by Real Madrid and losing 3-2 overall in their last 16 tie. However, the Real manager, Jose Mourinho, admitted his side had been lucky. I try to be honest and be honest is, uh, is to say that, in my opinion, the best team lost. But that's football. Championship side Watford won 2-1 against Sheffield Wednesday at Vicarage Road. Hornets boss Gianfranco Zola said it was a tough win. It was tough because they played well in the first half. Uh, they did really cause a lot of problems to us. But, uh, but it happens, you know, sometimes you can always be on your top. Milton Keynes Dons won 3-0 against Doncaster at Stadium MK. The Dons boss Carl Robinson was pleased with his side's performance and the three points. That's, that's us at our best and we've not seen it often enough. Um, the reasons for that, suspensions and injuries. Um, but tonight I've been able to put the front four out that I wanted to put out at the start of the season. Stevenage won 1-0 against Brentford at the Lamex Stadium with Borough boss Gary Smith pleased to pick up three points at home. From start to finish we looked a real side that were competing for something special um, and I think the performance tonight belied our form in the last half a dozen games for sure. Luton drew 0-0 away to Nuneaton with New Hatters boss John Still saying his side lacked opportunities. I thought it was a scrappy game, don't think we played particularly well, pleased with a clean sheet. Uh, but we have to be better in, in, in the opposing team's half. And we, weren't, we were Saturday, but we weren't today. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at seven o'clock. Ben sold half his fish. Oh, no. no. Ben sold... Well, half a fish or half... Listen, how many fish has he got? Don't, 
Don't. I can see, I bet you were terrible at school. We're celebrating International World Maths Day, okay? Do you know what I'm doing here? I'm deflecting my inadequacy with humour. You should, uh... Oh, humour, sorry, you should have flagged that up. <laughs> ben sold half his fish and half a fish to his friend Jack and still had 22 fish left. How many fish did Ben start with? Right. Should we come back to you on that one? Uh, can I show my workings out? <laughs> Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. This is your challenge this morning. We've got another question coming up from a proper math magician. But in the meantime, Ben sold... We'll ask him, see if Graham knows it. Ben sold half his fish and half a fish to his friend Jack and still had 22 fish left. How many fish did Ben start with? You see, maths is fun! Or annoying. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. And coming up in the next half hour, slightly perhaps uh, more serious, the cost of a funeral could be about to go up by thirty six percent in Wellin and Hatfield. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number. Let's go to um, Justin Dealey. Justin. Yes. Hello, Ian. Ben sold half his oh, fish. Here we go. Yeah. Ben sold <laughs> half. Yeah. I don't know who Ben is and what he's doing yeah. with fish. Morning, Ben. Morning, Ben. Ben sold half his fish. And half a fish to his friend Jack. He still had 22 fish left. How many fish did Ben start with? I've got absolutely no idea whatsoever. <laughs> I'll be completely honest with you. No idea. At school, at maths, I was dreadful. And you know what, Ian? I knew it as well. We were sent, we, I know later on in the show you're going to be going out asking people some maths questions. Mm. And when Justin came in, he, he'd been sent a link to a website with <laughs> maths questions. He's going, this is no good. What have they sent me this for? Come, come on, girls, this is rubbish. Ah, there are the answers. Yeah. <laughs> you were worried absolutely. the answers, well, It there. could be a long morning because if I go out with that Ben question, yeah. I could be here until half past nine trying to get an answer for you. Now, listen, We'll talk about maths a little bit later on. The reason I've got you on now is because I bought a TV, Justin, five years ago. Beautiful, 42-inch, oh, gorgeous plaza. Cost £1,200. And I have had some wonderful times flicking away furiously in front of that television screen. Mm. It's starting... To die, Ollie, work experience steady. It's starting to die. The volume keeps dipping in and out. And I'm thinking, well, do I get a new one? Or, or, or do I get it repaired? Well, what do you think, Justin? Well, this is Ian's dilemma of the day. We need some sort of jingle for this. What I would do, I would get it fixed. Because £1,200 is a lot of money. TV repairmen, they're out there somewhere. So I think you should, you know, look into to try and, and maybe get this repaired. Hang on a second. Ian's dilemma of the day. <laughs> Day, day, day. But it's not about me. No. It's about the people of Bed Sarts and Bucks. Should you get this fixed? Should you get a new one? I'm in Lucent this morning. Get him reaction. Hot <laughs> off the streets, Ian. <laughs> and this is what people have had to say. Well, Andy, you're up bright and early this morning. What do you think Ian should do then? Five-year-old TV. Sounds going slightly. Um, what do you think he should do? Uh, five-year-old TV. It's worth getting somebody to have a look at it. When was the last time a repairman, a TV repairman, came to your house? Can you remember? I used to work for a TV repair company. So. Oh, right, OK. So, so did you leave because business had dried up? No, they shipped it out to a big company that had done it. So, so you definitely think, though, with a sound problem, it won't cost too much. It's much better than paying £1,200 for a new one. Yeah, most definitely. Well, sir, what do you think? Ian's dilemma. Should he get it fixed or just simply get rid of that TV? Let's get rid of the TV. Let's get a nice new one. Yeah. It's £1,200, though. £1,200. The same thing... Five years ago, the same thing selling for four, five hundred quid now, and you get an update, a high definition, better picture, everything's nicer now. Okay, how big is your TV in terms of the inch? 42 inches. 42, that's And it's five years old, and if it went wrong, I'd throw it away. Really? So you just wouldn't bother getting a TV repairman out? You just no, wouldn't no, do no. it? Where are the TV repairmen? Where are they? That's the good question. When was the last time you saw one? I haven't seen any in here lately, so. <laughs> 
Okay, Paul, if you were Ian Lee, and that's a scary prospect, but uh, if you were hey. Ian Lee, what would you do in his shoes? I'd get rid of the TV. But why, though? One, you can't guarantee the repairs these days. Yeah. And two, they're not built to last, are they? So just a lot easier just to, to simply put it down to bad luck, move on. Yeah, that's it. It's the easiest way around it. Ring the local council if you live in this area. They'll pick it up for free charge. Don't be rude, Justin. What do you mean? Imagine. All right, girls, imagine you're Ian Lee. I know it's a horrible thought, isn't it? But just imagine. <laughs> Don't do that. But also, that fellow was, was spot on. I've Googled yeah. that my same TV. It's now £490. He's got a point. Then again, if you get a TV repairman out, it could cost you £50. I know what I would do if I was in your shoes. <laughs> well, Justin, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you. Keep thinking about that fish question, won't oh, you? Oh, I will do. I will do. Oh, I've forgotten it now. Sorry. Yeah, cheeky. I, I, can we... I'm not being funny, but can we have a word with Justin? Can management, if you're listening, can you have a word with Justin? It's all well and good him going out and doing these crazy reports, but, but don't be rude about me during them, please. Looking back over my shoulder
Math Day. It's World Math Day. We're loving it. We're bathing in numbers. Imagine me naked in numbers and plus signs. No, do it's a nice, it's a nice image, isn't it, ladies? Some gentlemen, isn't it? Of course it is. Well, it is World Maths Day, which aims to get you excited about numbers. When this was mentioned yesterday in the meeting, we all went, oh, really? But then, th- then enthusiasm ruled. Apparently, 17 million people in the country don't have the maths ability of an average 11-year-old. Well, what about the 11-year-olds? Mr Educator Graham Lawler is the author of the book Understanding Maths, Basic Maths Explained. Morning, Graham. Good morning. Hey! Now, Graham, listen, before we, we, we do this, I threw out a little maths problem to Catherine Boyle, our newsreader, earlier on. Yep. With, with a little bit of magic. Catherine, are you there? Yes. That, the Catherine has joined us. I'm going to do this, this, this maths question again. Mm-hmm. Catherine thinks she's got the answer, Graham, and you can tell her if she's right or wrong, OK? Yeah. So, Ben... So, I don't know what Ben's doing with all these fish, but he sold half of his fish... And half a fish to Jack. And Ben still had 22 fish left. So, Catherine, right. how many fish did Ben start with? 43 and a half. <laughs> I can't hear Catherine. You can't hear her, don't worry. She's, she, I think she's got it wrong. Catherine is saying 43 and a half, Graham. Uh, I'd say 44 and a half. See, I would say 45. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is on half a fish. It's a half as fish. Yes. So he had 44. He's got 22 left, so he had 44 and half a fish. Right. So he had 44 to start with. Okay. Plus a half. I, now, th- I'm getting this, both of you, from Yahoo Answers. Uh. Uh, no. And everyone is saying 45. Dan says 45. Tom Four Bucks says 45. And Pashal H all say 45. Are you saying they're wrong, Graham? I think they're wrong. Okay, and you are de- we are both definitely agreeing that Catherine is wrong. Yeah. Catherine? Away you go. <laughs> Thank you very much. Poor love. I know, but well, bless her. She, she, does, she does get a lot of bullying, but I think you'll agree, Graham. She deserves it. Now, <laughs> World Maths Day, this, this must excite you because you yeah. literally love maths, don't you? Absolutely. It's a buzz. <laughs> it's great fun. God, it, it, you can have such great fun with maths and it's all around us. What, what, what do you mean it's all around us? What, what, well, um, wherever you go in life, uh, mathematics is the language of the universe. If you are religious, it is the language by which God has cr- chosen to create the universe. Everything in life is mathematical. You walk down the street, how do you number houses? Well, you number them with numbers. Oh. Uh, you know, Prime Minister lives at number 10. Uh, why? Well, otherwise it'd be the one further on past the other one or just by the other one near, with the back door. You know, it means you can quantify things. Why, but wh- where did you get your passion for maths? Were you an odd child at school that no, sat at the back wearing, gla- wearing glasses and go, oh, maths lesson, everybody! Shush, 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 shush. <laughs> no, no, actually, no. Um, I, I went to school with a girl that you might have heard of called Carol Vorderman. Oh. And if you sit in a classroom with Vorderman, you go, oh, God, I'm frick, I can't do it. And um, I actually got into mathematics as an adult. Um, I trained, actually, originally as a science teacher. Yeah. And, I, you know, when you're a science teacher, they say, oh, well, yeah, I'm sorry, Miss Lord, I've got to teach some maths. I go, oh, God. And I got, started teaching maths. And this was, actually, I thought, this is actually quite good fun. And so um, I took another degree in maths with the Open University. Oh. Let's it. Yes. And that's where I got really in, into maths. Now, your, your enthusiasm for maths is infectious. And I'm, I'm <laughs> sure you dress a little bit more age-appropriately than Ms. Vorderman does. But, Graham, have you got a maths problem that we can throw out to, to my listener and they can ponder over this morning? Yeah, well, we, we've got a few. OK. Go. 
Can give, I give, give you a couple? Give us two. Give us two. Yeah, OK. Well, and uh, these, these, uh, the first one is actually quite true. During the First World War, yes. they introduced metal helmets in the Battle of the Somme. Right. And when they took, looked at the statistics, yeah. the number of head injuries went up, but not down. And they were puzzled. But why? Why did the head injuries uh-huh. go up, not down? Yeah. Listen, we did, sorry, we did ask you for a maths question, Graham, not a history question. You're aware well, of that, aren't you? Statistics, you see, and stati- statistics is part of maths. Right. Oh, OK. It's called interpreting statistics, you know, and um, I've got a, a, a lateral finger. Oh, wait, was that the question? That so, was the question, yeah. So, well, so when, 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 give, give it again. When, when helmets were introduced in the World War One. Yeah, the number of head injuries went up, not down. Okay. The question is why? Okay, well, okay. And what's your second question? Well, this is a, a lateral thinker, and again, this is mathematical, and you need to think about this. And um, last time we, 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 when we talked about stairs, this is to do with mm. stairs. Yeah. Right? So a man lives on the top floor flat of an apartment, and yes. on a wet day, he goes to work, and he comes home, he rides the, in the lift to the top floor. Yeah. To his flat. On a dry day, he gets out of floor early and walks up. Why? Because he's an idiot? <laughs> is, is that it? Have I got it? No. <laughs> no. Graham, Graham, listen, the excellent stuff. We're, are we going to speak to you later on in the show? Yeah, we'll talk later. Thank you very much. There's Graham Lawler, whose enthusiasm for maths is almost infectious. Two questions there. Fella lives on the top floor. On a wet day, he gets the lift up to the top floor. On a sunny day, he gets off the floor early and walks up. Why? And the other question, when they introduced metal helmets in World War One, the number of head injuries went up. Why? I've got no idea. I don't know the answer. 08459 455 555. A little bit later than normal. Sorry, Sophie. Sorry, Kate. We'll squeeze it all in. Here's the travel. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Anti-clockwise on the M25, one lane is still closed with queuing traffic following the earlier vehicle fire around Junction 15 at the M4. Conditions still back towards 16 at the M40. And on the A405, North Orbital Road are also still fairly heavy, approaching the M25 Junction 21A roundabout. Everything else not looking too bad at all. Trains still moving nicely at the moment. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Sophie. It's 6.47, it's Wednesday the 6th of March, I'm Ian Lee, and these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. A Hatfield nurse is speaking out after Addenbrooke's hospital staff put her father on the Liverpool Care pathway without consulting her. The Director of Public Prosecutions, Keir Stammer, is to announce an overhaul of the way the legal system deals with allegations of sexual offences against children. In sport, Manchester United are out of the Champions League after losing 2-1 to Real Madrid at Old Trafford last night. Coming up, the cost of a funeral could be about to go up by 36% in Welling and Hatfield. We'll find out why before 7am, but before that, let's get the weather with Kate Kinsella. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, it's not yesterday, I'm afraid. It's a very different day. The cloud and the dampness really making an impact. Certainly not feeling quite like spring as it did yesterday. Now, temperatures outside at the moment ranging between 6 and 7 Celsius for most of us, but just outside Milton Keynes, it's only 2. So we have kind of got this line just slightly further north uh, where it is a little bit cooler at the moment. But there's light patchy rain coming and going throughout this morning and through this afternoon. Best chance of some brightness a little bit later, but for most of us, it's just going to stay rather gray. 
grey and damp. Maximum temperature much cooler than yesterday, 11 Celsius, 52 degrees in Fahrenheit. Now, overnight, we're hanging on to the cloud with some rain and some drizzle as well. But the good news is there's no frost as temperatures way above freezing at 7 Celsius. That's 45 degrees in Fahrenheit. And through Thursday, it's a very similar day. One or two dry interludes, but more in the way of light patchy rain, I'm afraid. And temperatures getting slowed or dropping off slowly as we get down towards the weekend where it's set to be rather cold and rather wet that's your forecast thank you very much tackling your consumer problems on bbc three counties radio don't worry about that loan now the whole amount has just been taken off you don't owe a penny gosh i can't believe this jonathan vernon smith this has been six years of hell fighting for your rights you've done more in two weeks than i've done in six years i can't thank you enough you've fought it and you've won it well you won it for me Thank you so much, Jonathan. If you have a consumer problem, we can do the same for you. Call the team now. 08459 455 555. BBC Three well, Counties Radio. He, he is marvellous at consumer affairs and a, a very strange turn of events. J- JBS, have you called my show? No. You called me. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I, I need a little bit of consumer advice, and I, I, I'm, because I'm special, I don't want to wait until 11 o'clock to call you. Right, OK. I've well, got... uh, t- tell me all about it without naming any company names, and let's see what I can do. OK, I've got, I've got a, a 42-inch television. Can I mention the make? No. OK, and um, it's about five years old, and I bought... Yeah. Can I mention the store I bought it from? No. Okay. It's um, uh, it cost me twelve hundred pounds, and right. just recently the sound has started sort of dipping out. Every now and then the sound will go, and you need to give it a good wallop to uh, to get the sound to come back. Um, right. And some people are saying I, I could possibly take it back to the sh- the shop. I couldn't do that. Not five years later. Is it a plasma, and an LCD, an LED? What is it, Ian? Tell me. It's a television. I, I use it to watch television on it. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a plasma. I, and I've had many, many happy oh. years sat in front of that, that screen, flicking away and enjoying all the marvellous programmes. Yeah, well, I'm, a, I'm afraid I think it's coming to the, the end of its natural life. What? And I think it's time to what? to say goodbye. But uh, hang on a second. You always tell those idiot uh, your callers that you you should get <laughs> you should get what you think it, you know the, the the lifespan out of it. Twelve hundred pounds, five years. Yeah. You do the math. Yeah, but how how much have you watched it? Oh, lots. I mean, you could have had it, you could have had it exactly. You probably had it on because you're the kind of person that you like the Jeremy Kyle show. I, you have it on all day long. I do watch a lot of Jeremy Kyle, Cash in the Attic, Homes Under the Hammer. Yes, I do. Well, Jeremy Kyle itself shortens the life of your TV. Are you suggesting? Are you suggesting that the, the rubbish I, I watch is the reason it's not working so well? No, I'm suggesting that you've burnt it out because you've watched it so much and it's not the retailer's fault. They've not sold you a TV that's not a reasonable quality and has not lasted for a reasonable amount of time. It's that they sold you a perfectly good TV right. and you've watched it to death. Right. Can I ask, Jonathan, sorry, when when you're talking to, to, to your callers and your, your listeners, you're, you're a little bit... A little bit more friendly, even with the ones that have got ridiculous claims that are obviously completely dreamt up from their backsides. And you, you, you're being a little bit harsh to me this morning. Why, why is that? Well, sometimes tough love is what's needed. Well. And I'm afraid there's no, there's no point giving you any uh, 
misguided illusions that you can go to... Oh, you, you wouldn't go down to the shop anyway, would you? You don't like confrontation. Well, I was hoping that you would take it on board and make a phone call yourself. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to the company to say, look, my mate bought his TV five years ago, he's watched it to death, and now it's not working so well. Can you give him his money? But I'm not doing that. What do you think I am, a fool? I think you're a ferret. Jonathan, I'm, I'm going to do something... Yes. I've, ever since I've worked here for about the last six months, something I've always you're dreamed of doing. Here we go, yes. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. He talks to you lot. If one of you lot phones up Jonathan, he does the consumer hour from 11 till 12, OK, on, on Three Counties Radio. If one of you phones up with uh, just the most ridiculous... I mean, I'm trying to think of a ridiculous example from his show. I don't know. Someone phoned up and says, oh, 15 years ago, I bought a twig... And now the twig has snapped. Oh, right, well, what you need to do? Did you buy it on a credit card? Right, well, no, you didn't. Okay, well, that's not a problem. It, 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 okay, what we'll do is, Tim, Tim, all right, Jonathan, yeah, all right. Tim, right, can you get on the phone to the company? All right, Jonathan, I'll do that. You'll get on the phone to the company and we'll, we'll, we're going to get you, we're going to sort out your twig. All right, Jonathan, I'll do that. I've, I've got a perfectly good, I can't go back up in the office ever again. I've got a perfectly legitimate dilemma and he treats me with contempt. Wow. Now, here's something that, that will ultimately affect all. A little bit more serious than my television. And we, we could all be... We'll, we will all be affected by this at some point, surely. The cost of a funeral in Wellin and Hatfield could be about to go up by as much as 36%. As part of the local authorities' budget plans, all elements of a funeral will cost more, with even the cost of scattering ashes set to rise from £220 to £250. Can I just say... I didn't know you had to pay to scatter ashes. I'm shocked by that. Well, Theresa Lavers from Stopfold found arranging a funeral was very expensive. Awful experience. Just over two years ago, it was an absolute dreadful experience. When this happens, you don't know quite what to do at the time. You're in a state of shock and you think you're going to get the best. You ring for the best and you hope to get the best, but you don't always get the best. What about the costs of a funeral? Are they too steep now? It cost over £3,000 just for a basic funeral. We had no cars. We used our own cars. We arranged our own flowers. We arranged a church service. We arranged all the printing of the service. We did all we wanted was a basic funeral, a nice basic funeral. And it was just horrendous. And we had to pay £1,000 down before they even did a thing. What about all the extra costs? How do you see that in terms of arranging a funeral? Absolutely robbing the dead or robbing the people um, that are left behind. We can speak now to Alison Holbrook, who is a funeral director with the Funeral Company Limited in Wolverton. Morning, Alison. Good morning, Ian. Why are funeral costs rising? They are going up exponentially. They are just going through the roof. Um, It's the associated costs of funerals that are rising, not the funeral director's fees themselves. I mean, I can only speak for myself. My own fees haven't gone up to three and a half years but the cost of funerals the cost of cremations the cost of burial space everything else is going up and this comes from the council does it Uh, locally to where i am the cemeteries and uh, crematoriums are run by the local council so how can it cost more i I was at a a cremation a a few weeks ago unfortunately and i'm I'm wondering how can a cremation cost 36 percent more than it did a couple of months ago where's the increase in costs there the only thing that I can think of that it that is a legitimate rising cost is the fact, obviously, you've got the rising cost of the fuel and energy costs going up, um, which obviously 
of cremation uses fossil fuels, so therefore um, it, that will go up. It takes about 90 kilos of gas to cremate a human body, so therefore you can work out that that amount has to be covered by the cost of fossil fuels. Um, plus also you've got wage rises going up every year if it's a council-run facility. So I can understand where some costs come from, but the rest of it, I mean, when I started in the industry seven years ago, the cost of cremation was £286 locally. It's now £651. Um, so I can, I can see what, what people are saying about the rise of costs. Some people describing it as a, a, a tax on the dead. Is that, is that fair? I think it's... Um, Personally, I don't think it's right that you charge for a funeral. It, it's it's wrong, really, when you think about it. You don't pay to be born, but you have to pay to be di- you know to die. Um, and it is making money out of you know people's sorrow. But it is a business, and you know we have to cover the fact that we're on call twenty four hours a day. That we have premises where you know we have storage facilities and everything else. So <laughs> our costs rise as well. <laughs> Uh, and, and finally, I was surprised to hear, Alison, that you have to pay to scatter ashes. Only at some, um, in some areas. Um, for example, if you, are to, if you are cremated at the crematorium, you'd, the cost of the, crema- of the cremated remains being scattered on their grounds is included right. in a lot of, crema- of the cremation phase. Um, if, the, if, however, you are being cremated somewhere else and want to be cremated, scattered at another crematorium because it's like, closer to the family... Um, there would normally be a charge for that. But if I want to um, go and scatter d- d- some ashes like in a field somewhere, I haven't got to pay for that, have I? No, you should seek the, the landowner's permission mm. to scatter ashes anywhere. Um, although, having said that, there is kind of um, a white card, if you like, for people that um, British waterways and certain... Um, National Trust properties. Okay, Alison, listen, thank you very much indeed. Alison Holbrook, Funeral Director, 08459 455 555. Have you noticed? It's not a jolly subject, is it? But the costs of funerals are rising. Here's the travel with Sophie. Beds, hearts, and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Anti-clockwise on the M25, one lane still closed with queuing traffic due to the earlier vehicle fire around Junction 15 at the M4. Congestion still back to 16 at the M40 at the moment. Now the A1 Barnet Bypass heading south also now beginning to queue between Stirling Corner and the Watford Bypass. The A10 also slow again through Enfield between Bullsmore Lane and Southbury Road. And the A405 North Orbital Road very slow at the moment approaching the M25 Junction at 21A roundabout. Everything else not looking too bad at the moment. Trains are still moving nicely on the departure boards. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Sophie. It's World Maths Day. We've got two problems. Let me give you one of these problems now. During the First World War, they introduced metal helmets, but the number of head injuries went up, not down. Why? I think I may have worked this one out. Here's the news with Catherine. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, it's seven o'clock. The headlines, Hatfield woman critical of care pathway process. Survey suggests today's children grow up faster than previous generation and how a breath test could help in the fight against cancer. BBC Three Counties Radio. A Hatfield nurse is speaking out after her father was put on the Liverpool care pathway without consultation with the family. Suzanne Phillips has professional experience in the end-of-life guidelines and says Adambrook's hospital staff were wrong to initiate the process of replacing treatment with palliative care without advising relatives. She told BBC 
you look east, it came as a huge shock. They said, yes, your dad's stable. You do, do not need to come in early. Just come in at one o'clock, normal visiting hours. We did that. The sight that we saw behind those curtains at that time was absolutely horrendous. I asked the nurse, where's his oxygen? What's happening here? She said, oh, he's on the LCP. She said, he's been on it since 11 o'clock this morning. We were going to speak about it to you when you came up. Adam Brooks Hospitals opened an investigation and there'll be more on this story coming up next with Ian Lee. The Director of Public Prosecutions, Keir Starmer, is announcing an overhaul of the way the criminal justice system deals with allegations of sexual offences against children in England and Wales. He says the Jimmy Savile scandal raised fundamental questions about the approach of the police and prosecuting lawyers to such allegations. The cost of a funeral in Wellin and Hatfield could be about to rise by 36%. As part of the local authority's budget plans, all elements of a funeral will cost more and even the cost of scattering ashes will increase from £220 to £250. A new survey from the online forum Netmums suggests children are growing up faster than their parents did. In the study of over a 1,000 parents of children aged 7 to 13, 89% thought their children had lost their innocence at a younger age. Fiona Wyatt from Family and Youth Concern isn't surprised. So many children now have computers in their rooms, they have mobile phones. At the very, I mean, we're talking at junior school age now, but on the other hand the freedoms that they should have to be able to you know go down in the woods and muck around and all that other thing freedoms that they don't have so in one sense we're robbing them of what children should have but giving them a whole load of stuff that really is not for them Early trials suggest that a quick and simple breath test can diagnose stomach cancer. The British Journal of Cancer says the test could revolutionise the way the disease is identified. The research team is now running a bigger study after their successful one involving 130 patients. In sport, Manchester United failed to reach the quarter-finals of the Champions League. Despite taking the lead against Real Madrid at Old Trafford, they lost 2-1 on the night, with Cristiano Ronaldo getting the winner against his former club and 3-2 overall. Afterwards, the United assistant manager Mike Phelan said the controversial second half sending off of Nani for a challenge on Alvaro Albaloa was the turning point in the match. The weather, cloudy but mostly dry with a top temperature of 11 degrees Celsius. That's 52 degrees Fahrenheit. There's more news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. First for news. During the First World War, they introduced metal... This is your chance to redeem yourself. They introduced metal helmets in the Battle of the Somme but the number of head injuries went up, not down. That's, that's the question from our math magician. Kath, what's the answer? More survivors. Sorry? Well, they weren't killed straight away. They had their helmets on. But that, that doesn't relate to the question. It does. The number of head injuries went up, not down. Yeah. So, you know, rather than being dead, they had head injuries. Oh, for goodness sakes. I'm right. Uh, we'll see, we'll see. We'll find out by nine. Thank you, Catherine. It is National Maths Day and we're, we're celebrating it. There's another maths question. I'll, give, I'll keep listening. I'll give you the other maths question in, uh, in a little bit. Lots coming up. Some light, some serious. Some of the stuff is in, uh, including... We're going to hear the story of a Hatfield nurse whose father was put on the controversial Liverpool care pathway. She says the family wasn't consulted. He was left without food, water or oxygen support for the last eight days of his life. Modern childhood now ends at just 12 years old. That's according to a report out today. Do you think kids are growing up too quickly? And my TV's on the blink. I've had it for five years. I'm thinking of maybe getting it repaired. Or, or maybe I should just chuck it away and get a new one. What, what do you reckon? Do TV repairmen still exist? 08459 455 555. You can text 
81333. Start your text 3CR. Or go to the Facebook page. And boy, oh boy, you lot have been very feisty on the Facebook page recently. The number of likers has, has gone up incredibly. And you're feisty. If you want to read a good argument or take part in a good argument, facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. BBC Three Counties Radio. A nurse from Hatfield whose father died on the Liverpool Care Pathway in Adambrook's hospital is complaining that he was left without water, food or oxygen support for the last eight days of his life. Bob Gould, a retired factory manager, had been critically ill with a broken back and bleeding on his brain after falling down the stairs at his home in Stevenage. He was transferred from Lister Hospital in Stevenage to the critical care unit at Adambrook's where he spent two weeks before being placed on the pathway. Joined now by Susan Phillips, who's Bob's daughter. Morning, Susan. Good morning. Susan, thanks for joining us. Can you just explain what happened to your dad and and how he ended up in the hospital? Um, Basically, on Sunday the 3rd of February, my dad had a fall down the stairs. And um, when I got to the bottom of the stairs, he was bleeding from his head profusely and also he was not breathing and he was blue. I resuscitated my dad and um, after a long... Um, episode with the ambulance crew and doctors and everything else. He was taken to the Lister and then obviously um, sent over to Adambrook that evening, which he then ended up in the neurointensive care. And when he was in Adambrooks, when he first went to Adambrooks, what was his condition like? He was obviously heavily sedated because he had a broken back, broken neck, fractured cheekbone, fractured skull and a bleed on the brain. And um, he was heavily sedated, but um, after a few days, they weaned him off the sedation. They did try to take the tube out, but it didn't. It failed, so they put it straight back in. He couldn't manage without the tube. But after a while, of that sort of like the first week, he started to sort of come round a bit when they lowered the sedation, and he started trying to get out of bed. And he was actually giving non-verbal indications that he was actually okay because he kept pointing at the tube in his mouth and pointing at the catheter for his urine. And he was just, you know, pointing at his head. And my brother said to him at one stage, Dad, it's okay, you had a fall, you're in Adambrooks. And my dad nodded, even though he was in a neck brace. So, as far as you're concerned, there were signs of improvement. And uh, although he was struggling to communicate, he was lucid. Yeah, he seemed to be... I mean, he obviously, it was very difficult for maybe the nursing staff, I can understand. But uh, with us, we sort of knew that my dad was still there. And um, he was... Obviously, because he does suffer with Alzheimer's, he's had Alzheimer's for the last, I don't know, um, 13 years, probably from about the age of 60. But he was still, this is my point, actually, he was actually still independently mobile, eating and drinking, feeding himself, not incontinent. So he still had quite a good life quality. Now, he was put on the Liverpool Care Pathway, which is, for those who don't know, it's, it's kind of when, when people are in their last hours or maybe last couple of days, it's, it's a way of easing them gently on, isn't it, really? Yes. Do, you, do you think he should have been put on the pathway? No, actually, we had a discussion. On Saturday the 16th, we had a discussion with the NCCU team who showed us the scans and said that according to the scans, it was suggested that my dad was in a semi-permanent or permanent vegetative state well obviously because my nan, my dad's um, non-verbal indications up to that point we were sort of questioning that but anyway they said we were going to have a discussion with the consultant on the monday and on the monday on the 18th of um uh, february my dad um 
uh, we had a discussion, sorry, about my dad, and the consultant said that they'd um, done a chest X-ray because he had had pneumonia while he was in there, and he had some clots in his lungs. But apparently, it all cleared. It was the best chance to give him um, a go. Either he said it would go either way. They're going to take out the tube and then see what happens. And they said that was, you know, that was the best way forward. Let's give him the best chance and see how he goes. And on that. Um, Monday night they took out the tube at 7 o'clock and straight away my dad spoke to us and the nurse said oh look he's speaking and my my brother said to him are you okay dad and he said yes and then my son came along and he said hello boy to my son and um, we never left there till about half past 11 that night and my dad was on oxygen 50% of oxygen still saturating at 94 and 95% which is acceptable to us as nurses so with the support he was actually doing fine so when did he then go on the LCP, and when did you find out? Because you found out after it happened, didn't you? We did, yeah. Actually, the next morning, I rang at 9 o'clock, and they said Dad was stable, there was no need to rush up, come at 1 o'clock, normal visiting time, no problem at all. When we got up there at half, about half past one that day, I have never, ever, in any of my nursing career, seen anything like it. My dad was behind the curtain with nobody. He was, everything was stripped of him, there was nothing there. He didn't have any oxygen on. He was sitting sitting up in the bed, up, arms flailing everywhere, grabbing at the air, gasping, absolutely gasping for breath. So I said, when the nurse came behind the curtain, I said, what's happening? I said, where is everything? Why isn't he being fed? Because they'd already stopped the feed and everything on the Sunday because they said they had to take all the feed away before he was the tube was taken out because otherwise it would make him vomit. And we were led to believe, obviously, that after the excavation, the tube was removed, that everything was going to go back to normal and he would be fed. And then um, the, the nurse said to us, oh, he's on the LCP. He started it, we started it this morning at 11 o'clock. We were going to talk about it to you when you got up here. The leaflets are on there. The, the leaflets are on there. Oh, that's, yeah. that's nice. Thanks, yeah. It is very nice. And then they said, oh, we'll call the end-of-life facilitator down to, to speak to you about it. She came down and we spoke to her. But she was just trying to explain to me, who already is a nurse, and I have looked after patients on the LCP, what the LCP actually does. And I said, well, you don't need to explain that to me. And we were in such a state trying to get back to my dad. But we were led to believe that for some reason, death was imminent and it was going to happen quite soon. But obviously, that didn't happen. How, how, how much longer did he survive? He, start, he, he was there until the fo- that was on the Tuesday. That was the following Monday that he actually passed away. And I've never seen anything so horrendous in my life. I'm actually having nightmares about it, the way my dad was grabbing at things. At half past four on Wednesday morning, um, we had to go out to the curtains, because to be quite honest, they just left off to it behind there. And then we went out to the, out the curtains and said to the nurse, excuse me, is there anything else we can have? Because we can't stand looking at this any longer. This is, you know, this is an absolute... I said, you wouldn't treat a dog like this. This is absolutely appalling. And what so did they, they say? Came. What did they say when you kicked up a fuss? As you, as you obviously, you know, did. Well, actually, because on the Thursday we were actually um, on the Wednesday afternoon we moved upstairs to the ward rather than being on the ITU because it's not the place for us to be. So we moved upstairs on the on the Wednesday afternoon. By Thursday, I started questioning. I was thinking, well, hold on. I thought my dad was dying. He's not dying. I'll keep telling him, Dad, please close your eyes, go to sleep, thinking he was dying, but he was nowhere near dying. Mm. And then on the Thursday, I, thought, I said to my brother, I said, I'm going to ask them about it. So in the, in the morning when the um, house officer came round, I said, look, you know, is there, do you mind, can I ask you, why is my dad on the LCP? She said, 
I'll have to look at the notes. She came back and she said, actually, there isn't any documentation to say why your dad is on the LCP. She said, oh, I'll get the registrar to come and see you later on. And he came and he repeated the same thing. He said he didn't know why. And then finally that evening, Mr. Hutchinson, who's the consultant looking after my dad, he came and he said he didn't know either. He said that we didn't have a discussion about the LCP. So, um, but he, obviously everything we ever questioned there always came out, oh, but you know, let's just justify it with a poor prognosis. He has got Alzheimer's. But my dad, like I just said to you, was eating and drinking, feeding himself. He could have, you could have a conversation with him. He, he wasn't very good with the language because that was part of the brain yeah. that was affected by his Alzheimer's. Susan, listen, I, I hate to say this because we, we are... Time is against us, like I just have to just be very careful that we don't mention any more names, just yeah, because okay. for, for that. What, what, what would you like to see happen now? Well, what we really want to happen is for the doctors to have to admit their failure to give my dad the best chance, because that's what they told us they were going to do, which we presume should include oxygen, water, and food, but they didn't. And I think, given the best chance, even the ITU, one of the ITU charge nurses said. But given a few days to be weaned off the sedation and the amount of opiates that he'd been on and everything else whilst covering his pain while he was actually in the ITU bit, um, he would have actually maybe have come round a bit more and been back to his, not maybe not to his old self, but at least he would have given, been given a chance. And if he had failed after that, we could have understood. What we want is for people to be actually consulted and that for locum consultants not to be signing the LCP, that they actually the team looking after him should be signing the LCP and also for him you know to give people the best chance to give them food and hydration to make them comfortable and not to let the people die in the way that my dad did I understand that the LCP is probably good for some people that are terminally ill and I'm not against the LCP given in the right circumstances and done properly Susan, thank you very much for coming on. You're very brave to come on so uh, soon after your dad passing away. That's Susan Phillips, who's Bob Gould's daughter. Uh, Adam Brooks told the BBC it was dedicated to compassionate end-of-life care and it would learn any lessons that were needed from this case. The hospital will not start a formal investigation until after the coroner has finished his inquiry. Uh, and a spokesman for the hospital said, people die and our job is to look after them compassionately and care for them and give them the right clinical care and communicate with them and their families. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Right, it's 7.15 on the nose. Let's get the travel news now. Here's Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Anti-clockwise on the M25, one lane still closed with queuing traffic due to recovery work taking place after the earlier vehicle fire happened around Junction 15 at the M4. Congestion is still back to 17 at Maple Cross at the moment and going to take you just over an hour to get through that stretch. Now anti-clockwise on the M25, also still slow between Junction 21 at the M1 and 20 at Kings Langley and also queuing between 26 at Waltham Abbey and 25 at the A10 for Enfield. Now London bound on the M1 towards uh, Junction 9, it is a very slow at the moment and the Barnet Bypass also still queuing between Stirling Corner and Mill Hill Circus while the A10 heading south through Enfield also still slow between Ballsmore Lane and Southbury Road. Trains are still looking good on the departure boards. Sophie Tyler BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you Sophie. Right it's 7.16 it's Wednesday the 6th of March I'm Ian Lee and these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. A Hatfield nurse is criticising Addenbrooke's hospital staff for putting her father on the Liverpool Care pathway without consul- uh, consulting the family. 
The Director of Public Prosecutions, Keir Starmer, is announcing an overhaul of the way the justice system deals with allegations of sexual offences against children. In sport, rain has washed out the first day of the Test Series between New Zealand and England in Dunedin. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks, cloudy but mostly dry with a top temperature of 11 degrees. Coming up before 7.30, modern childhood now ends at just 12 years old. That's according to a report out today. Well, do you think kids are growing up too quickly? 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. When you need local news. A passenger's been banned from EasyJet flights for the rest of his life. The consumer group Which says more than half the UK's train companies have a customer satisfaction score of 50% or lower. When you need local travel. We're recovering an accident, one car involved southbound at Sutton Road. Not again central to Watford Junction and London Euston, delayed by 15 minutes. When you need local weather. Then we'll see temperatures drop to minus one, minus two degrees Celsius. A widespread frost into tomorrow morning. BBC Three Counties Radio and bbc.co.uk slash three counties Happy Mass Day guys Happy Mass Day What are you doing to celebrate? I hope you got your Mass Day cards out It's Maths Day and we're celebrating with fun maths questions Katie is in Leighton Buzzer Good morning Katie Good morning Ian A, f- a few questions have been set this morning and you claim to know the answer Which ones do you know the answers to? Uh, the, the man with the lift Oh, okay. Let me let me just read this. Okay, so there is. Oh, hang on a second. Where's it gone? I've got it here. Hang on a second. There we go. I want to make sure I get it right. A man lives on the top floor in the top floor flat of an apartment. On a wet day, he goes to work, and when he comes home, he rides in the lift to the top floor to his flat. On a dry day, he gets out of floor early and walks up the stairs to his flat. Why? Because he can't reach the other button when it's raining. He's got his umbrella with him. Oh. Oh, so with the, with the, he's 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 not that tall. No, and w- when he's when it's raining, he's got the umbrella, so he can reach up and he can hit the top button. That's right. That's not. Do you know what that that could? I don't know the answers, Katie. Okay. So that you could be right. Is that a maths question, though? Uh, not really. I don't consider it a math question. Well, when we get our math magician Graham back on, I'm going to. If that's the answer, he's going to get short shrift from me, Katie. Well, the the other one with the hat, the tin helmet. Oh, look, you, you know all of them. Okay, so the tin helmet one is during the first. Someone just tweeted me. Oh, my radio cut out. I missed the answer to the tin hat question. Well, we may be getting it now. During the First World War, they introduced metal helmets in the Battle of the Somme, but the number of head injuries went up, not down. Why, Katie? Why? Because they forgot. They were wearing the helmets and kept hitting their heads. They got their helmets on, and they in in these ditches, whatever they call them, trenches. I think they called them. I love not ditches. In yes, the trenches. yes, yes. They were trenches. Yeah, in Quick, the trenches. in the ditches, lads. Jerry's coming. Yeah, <laughs> in the trenches, they they kept hitting their heads. They they forgot they they were a bit taller with the helmets on, you see. Oh, that's not bad. That's kind of a similar uh, tip to the... the, the uh, shall I tell you what I think the answer is to the hat question? Mm-hmm. Is they didn't keep... They only started keeping records of head injuries once they got the metal hats on. That's quite true. That's quite true. So that could be right as well? Yes. OK, we don't know. OK. Uh, and finally, do you know the fish... This fish... I'm going to give you the fish question. Ben... <coughs> yes, it. Ben sold half his fish and half a fish... To his friend Jack, he still had 22 fish left. How many fish did Ben start with? He must have had 45 to have had a half a fish. You can't have just half a fish. Well... You've got to have a, a fish to cut it in half. 
Well, well, Ben had half a fish. Uh, no, Jack had half a fish afterwards, so maybe someone gave Ben half a fish. Yeah, he probably ate it himself. He probably did, gre- greedy Ben. Yeah. Jo- we've, had, we've had some people texting in. Joe has texted in 23 fish. Well, that, that's wrong. Mm. Helen in Milton Keynes says the answer is 45, but yeah. I always got a D- minus in maths. Um, Dave says, your maths expert is wrong. You are correct. Tom had 45 fish. Yes. Half of 45 is 22.5, plus half of fish is 23. Mm-hmm. Huh? But then Angela says, he's, oh gosh, Ben had 44 and a half. 44 and a half. 44 and a half. Oh, How can you have half a fish? You'd eaten half a fish and you go the other half well, fish, Red. You, 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 you can have. It's not impossible to have half a fish. Well, once it's dead. Well, it, exactly. I'm not saying you, would have a li- you wouldn't have a living <laughs> half a fish. I'll give you another silly question, then. Uh, oh, Ian, yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what we need, Katie. Yes, thank you. Go on. How many beans make five? What? How many beans... Beans. B-E-A-N-S. Beans, yes. How many beans make five? Five. Well, um, I'm going to throw this out there. Is it, I don't know, five... Shall I give your people the answer? Go, go, and, go and speak to my producer, Laura, and yes. give her the answer. Thank you, Katie. It's just what we needed there. Another impossible maths question to answer. How many beans... I'm so rubbish at this kind of stuff. How many beans make five? Uh, I've, I wait four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. Uh, on the subject of the helmets, Dad says, Ian, the helmets didn't fit properly. And Angela says, the helmet question. <laughs> Who'd have thought we'd be... I'd have thought we'd be putting that out there. The helmet question. More injuries as they didn't like helmets and left them off. Huh? Makes no sense whatsoever. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Now children are growing up too quickly. That's according to Netmums, who conducted a study of over a thousand parents of children aged seven to thirteen. Their research found that children now end uh, childhood sorry now ends at just twelve years old instead of the traditional sixteen. With us now is Sue Atkins, author of Raising Happy Children, and Elizabeth is a parent and grandparent from Hitchin. Morning, Sue. Morning, Elizabeth. Morning. Sue, we'll, we'll start with you first. What do you make of this report? Are children growing up too quickly? Well, yes, I do see an awful lot of children. I go into class, you know, schools doing confident classes for kids, and you do see children being far more aware of sex and well, how they look and their body, you know, their body image than perhaps many, many years ago when kids were kind of a bit more innocent. So I think parents have to take kind of responsibility for what their kids see on TV, what, you know, talk and uh, teach them about these things, really, and try and keep them young, you know? Well, someone was saying earlier on that, that it, it, it is, of course, very important that the, the parents keep an eye on what they're watching on TV, but they have kids have access to the world in their pocket, literally, with their phones and their, their iPads yeah. and all of these things. They can see anything, and however, you know, many net nannies and things you put on there, kids can see anything that we, I couldn't see 30 years ago. Well, I tell you what you can also do. There's a piece of software, actually. There's an app that you can go on, and you can start... Um, the kids have to put a password in. You, you control what they see on their phones, uh, which I think is a great idea, because it keeps them safe. And then you make sure that they're going on certain games or certain things that you allow them to go on. I think this is the first generation of parents who have to actually take responsibility for putting some boundaries around their kids and also teaching them how to use all these technology things safely and making sure they're not on them all the time. And carefully what they're watching from them Oh, well. listen, I, I totally agree. I, no, no child of mine uh, under the age of 16 is having a computer or a mobile phone in their bedroom on their own. But if yeah. 
yeah. you do put these blocks on these things, kids yeah. kids are so much cleverer. It's like when I was a kid, I was the only person in my house that knew how to set the video recorder. Well, that's dated me, isn't it? And, and kids will find <laughs> kids will find a way around these apps, won't they? Well, well, you say that, but this particular one, I think it's called Alpha Blue UK or something. You go in online and you put it in, and the hours that you allow them actually on their mobile phones, and also then the apps and the different oh. websites that they can go on. So, but also, I mean, that's great, and you block it, but I think you have to talk and teach your kids, because you're going to set yourself up for, you know, great anger from your child if you just get heavy-handed about that kind of thing. So I do think there's that sort of safety thing, but also that's that talking and teaching them, and telling them that, you you know, you're there to be their parent, not their friend. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a tough one, but you're right. Elizabeth, you've got grown-up kids now. How, how old are your children, Elizabeth? Oh, sorry, you're there. Elizabeth, how, how old are your children? Thirty-three and thirty. Oh blimey! They're, they're, they're br- and how old are your grandchildren? Uh, my, my, I've only got one grandchild. Right. She's seven. seven. Seven this year. Seven years old. Well, that, that's a lot of fun. But can you see a difference between your kids as seven-year-olds and, and your grandchild? Definitely. Definitely. What is it? What, what, what's so different? No, it's her mannerisms. Um, she she just loves playing with her mum's iPad. She doesn't, you know, my my girls were dollies and prams. She doesn't play with things like that. It's always games on her mum's iPad and, um, oh, it's um, the Xbox. and it's, They're not children anymore. And the way she dresses, you know, she's got to have all the latest fashion. She goes to a party. She's got to look, you know, how she wants to look. And, oh, it's oh, it's dreadful. Does she wear makeup, Elizabeth? No, she doesn't. No. She only wears nail varnish and her mum puts that on for her when she wants it. Right. Um, she, no, she doesn't actually wear makeup. And when your kids, Elizabeth, were seven, I remember being seven years old and being allowed out on my bike and allowed out on yeah. on my own. Did, 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 does your seven-year-old granddaughter no. do that? No. Doesn't, no. No, definitely not. No. Why is that? Is it, is, is it because you're, you're, her parents are scared? Or? I think so. I think that, that comes into it now because safety issues and, you know, different things that happen in this world now i think you you can't let just let them out like we used to but you know you, um, you know, know there are no more you yeah, know there are no more um that there are no more kind of naughty people out there than there were 30 years ago it's just reported differently well, i suppose it is yes but i think people uh, the parents are more aware now that they they i think they're scared basically mm. i mean i used to let my girls to the recreation park on their own fine no problem but i think as you say nowadays people are more aware of it and they it just put it does frighten parents now so is that part of the problem that, that 30 years ago people would, would allow, happily allow their seven eight nine year olds out on their own come home when it starts getting dark exactly, uh, yes, uh, and now it, well, that was it was it you, you if you come home after it starts you'll be in trouble <laughs> but but now sue that we, we don't let the kids out do we is that part of the problem well well, I think, yeah, I think it's the cotton wool kids generation, isn't it? Where there are some parents that are overtly protectors of their kids. And, you you know, you're, you're telling the kids then that the world is a frightening place. So I think you have to, you know, put boundaries around some of the things that they do and where they go. But you also have to do it incrementally on their sort of maturity and trusting them to keep them safe. But again, don't let them all out doing wild stuff. You do have to, you know, keep some boundaries around them, but not frighten them. Life is meant to be about risk, isn't it? And you've been blogging about this, Sue haven't you? What, what have people yes. been saying? 
But, you know, they, I, I, my blog today is about, you know, what is childhood and what, what does it represent to you? And I still see kids, because, you know, I, I work with a lot of families. Kids still love to go to the beach and, you know, pond dip and do all those sorts of things with mud pies when they're young. It's just as they start to get a bit older, they do sort of pick up that influence of wanting to try and be like some of the stars. And I think you have to try and, you know, protect them from some of that and do all the innocent stuff and play with them and talk with them and go out to the swings and go bowling and keep it all kind of like off the, you know, the setting and off the screens mm. if you can. Elizabeth, did your, your granddaughter, she ever climbed a tree? No. Right, right. This is your project. This is your. I know, isn't it sad? This is your project, Elizabeth. It's going to be a lovely day today. It's going to be sunny and it's going to be quite warm. I think. Right. You have to. I don't know if you live near your granddaughter. If you if you do go with her, if you don't, then get your, your her parents to do it. Right. She has to climb a tree today. Right. Yeah, Elizabeth. Yes. Come on. You you climbed trees at seven, didn't you? Probably. You climbed a tree at seven, didn't you? <laughs> Probably. Yeah, well, they, right. I, want, I can't remember. I want to speak to you tomorrow, Elizabeth, and I want you to tell me your granddaughter <laughs> climbed a tree today, OK? All right. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. Thank you very much indeed. Um, Elizabeth is a mum and a grandmum. And uh, we also spoke to Sue Atkins, author of Raising Happy Children. 08459 455 555. Seven years old and never climbed a tree. I was never very good at climbing trees, but... I, I had a good good crack at it. Well, let me quickly do this email before we uh, we go to the news. Ian, you made an earlier comment during the interview about children growing up too quick that it was too late to go back. I would suggest it's not. Children only became precious in Victorian times and the subsequent advent of the Education Act gave most children a childhood as they had to be educated until 14. Before the age of consent, law, uh, girls were often married off as soon as puberty hit in the high society to forge political alliances and could be mothers as young as 12 or 13. Huh? Children also worked as young as four or five. I think there's something in that. If government intervention could change things back then, surely it could help to change things now. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. Here's the travel with Sophie. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Anti-clockwise on the M25, it's still queuing following the earlier vehicle fire around Junction 15 at the M4. Congestion is back to 18 at Chorleywood at the moment. Now, all lanes have been reopened, but it is going to take you over an hour to get through that stretch. Very start-stop as well between 27 at the M11 and 25 at the A10 for Enfield. Now, London bound on the M1, also looking slow between 9 at Redbourne and 8 at Hemel Hempstead. And heading through Watton at Stone, the A602 in both directions is looking very slow at the moment, just between the a one. 19, that's just at Ware Road and the uh, Wade's Mill Road as well. That is due to the roadworks causing problems there. So do you be aware heading down in that direction. The train's still looking good this morning. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Sophie. 7.31, let's get the news and sport now. Here's Catherine Boyle. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. The headlines. A Hatfield nurse is criticising Addenbrooke's hospital staff for putting her father on the Liverpool care pathway without consulting her. The Director of Public Prosecutions, Keir Starmer, is announcing an overhaul of the way the justice system deals with allegations of sexual offences against children. And the cost of a funeral in Wellin and Hatfield could be about to rise by 36% as part of the local authority's budget plans. Beds, Hearts and Bucks Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Manchester United are out of the Champions League. They were beaten 2-1 at home by Real Madrid to lose 3-2 overall in their last 16 tie. The decision to send off Nani during the second half was a key moment in the match. I think the referee's reaching for something here. And um, it... Oh, a red card for Nani! Unbelievable! 
Well, the Real Madrid players were flashing cards at the referee when the challenge came in from Nani. That is an absolute stunner. Meanwhile, Championship side Watford won 2-1 against Sheffield Wednesday at Vicarage Road. Hornets boss Gianfranco Zola admitted it was a struggle. It was tough because they played well in the first half. Uh, they did really cause a lot of problems to us. But, uh, but it happens, you know, sometimes you can always be on your top. Milton Keynes Dons won 3-0 against Doncaster at the Stadium MK. Manager Carl Robinson was pleased with his side's performance and the three points. That's, that's us at our best and we've not seen it often enough. Um, the reasons for that, suspensions and injuries. Um, but tonight I've been able to put the front four out that I wanted to put out at the start of the season. Stevenage won 1-0 against Brentford at the Lamex Stadium. Borough boss Gary Smith was pretty pleased. From start to finish, we looked a real side that were competing for something special. Um, and... I think the performance tonight belied our form in the last half a dozen games, for sure. And Luton drew nil-nil away to Nuneaton with Hatter's boss John still saying his side lacked opportunities. I thought it was a scrappy game. don't think we played particularly well. Pleased with a clean sheet, uh, but we have to be better in, in, in the opposing team's half. And we, weren't, we were Saturday, but we weren't today. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at 8 o'clock. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. It's World Maths Day. I know I didn't think I'd be anywhere near as excited about it as I am. Yesterday it was mentioned, Richard mentioned it in the office, and we all went, oh, World Maths Day, a nice one. And then, but then suddenly a little, a little kind of energy went through the room, and we all went, oh, hang on, actually, yeah, that's a brilliant idea. We've got some maths problems for you. They're on Facebook.com <clears throat> forward slash BBC3CR. And um, you can look at those maths uh, problems. One of them is about, is about in the song. <laughs> I don't know how on earth we got onto this. Uh, during the First World War, they introduced metal helmets in the Battle of the Somme, but the number of head injuries went up, not down. Alan in Lindsley says, I think helmet injuries went up through deafness when they were hit. What? Andy, I believe that was down to the lip they put around the edge of the helmet. Uh, edge of the helmet. Helmet's got two E's in it, and there's, there's no I. When a bomb or shell exploded, the blast caught the lip and pulled the helmet up, breaking their necks. You lot are very, very weird. Very weird. Dave the Thatch, the question is wrong. Oh, <laughs> the first British helmet came out in 1915, not 1916, when the Battle of the Somme was. Dave, please. Angela in Houghton Regis, the helmet question. More injuries as they didn't like helmets and left them off. The, the helmet thing is because when they got shot in the head with a cloth hat, there was more, likely, more than likely dead. When they got shot in the head with a metal helmet, they often survived, but with a head injury. Uh, see, that, uh, that's kind of... That's getting close. Catherine Boyle keeps sending me messages. Nah, it's because nah, it's more survived, like... Leave it, Catherine. And yes, that is my Catherine Boyle there. Impression. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up in the next 30 minutes, including the maths questions, and also the cost of a funeral could be about to go up by 36% in Wellin and Hatfield. I'll be finding out why it's becoming more expensive. That's not a maths question, that's a fact. Now, we talked about this yesterday. Do you remember rail bosses were asked to explain recent disruption for three counties commuters at a meeting last night? Problems with overhead power lines at Radlett, St Neots and Wolverton caused chaos for passengers. Representatives of Network Rail and First Capital Connect met with St Albans District councillors last night. Well, we spoke to Liberal Democrat councillor Robert Donald yesterday and he's very kindly come back on. Good morning, councillor. Good morning, good morning. What happened at the meeting yesterday? Well, we... 
challenged uh, both First Capital Connect and uh, Network Rail about why that incident uh, at Radlett happened in the first place and what they were doing about making sure it didn't happen again in the future. Um, and there does seem to have been a, a technical problem which uh, hadn't occurred before with uh, the overhead wire actually breaking under a bridge and bringing down uh, equipment uh, and 900 meters of, uh, of line uh, and then doing further tests on the metallurgy of the actual wire as to um, what was going on, what caused it to break. Uh, but they do seem to know what happened, and they are taking action to make sure it doesn't happen so, in the future so by setting up inspection patrols, for example, and by putting in earthing strips under bridges of a certain height where a similar break could happen in the cable again. So, Robert, hang on a second. The, 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 the long and short of it was, oh, we don't know. We don't know exactly. We don't know. We know quite a lot more than we did before the meeting. But so they're gonna, they, they said they're going to do more checks and more tests on, on these, these cables and things. How often, how often are they going to do these checks now? They're going to step them up. They didn't say precisely how long because they <clears throat> don't know how frequent they need to be yet. They're obviously going to do them quite frequently uh, in, in terms of checking. Um, and and uh, they're learning from this experience mm. um, because it hasn't happened to them uh, before. And then, of course, they had the St. Neitz one uh, very uh, shortly after that. Um, and, and this has really set them back make them think about what they should be doing that they're not doing in terms of maintenance and inspection. Do you feel you achieved anything last night, Robert? Because we did, we did um, put forward the idea that, that this is great that you're doing this and fantastic that you're challenging these train companies, but, but ultimately you don't really have any power over them, well, do you? Of course you? we don't have the sort of powers that Parliament has over them, but the fact is that we are probably the busiest suburban station in the country. They need the income from our travellers, um, and they do come and meet with us every six months and take very seriously um, being open and more transparent. And, yeah, I do think we achieved something uh, yesterday. We challenged them. We expressed anger on behalf of our uh, passengers and our residents, um, who feel let down by First Capital Connect and Network Rail. Um, and and uh, I, I believe that they listened. Uh, and, and they'll be coming back in six months' time to tell us what they've done to improve, for example, communications, which we said were very patchy during this incident and on other occasions too. Sometimes it's okay and other times it really is hopeless. There were people in this incident turning up the next day and on the Thursday we're being told that trains were running and then finding there were no trains running, for example. But it said on, on the electronic boards that trains were running. So communication is a crucial issue that they haven't really cracked yet. And we told them that last night. And they have to listen to us, and they do. So, yes, I do think there have been achievements. I mean, I mean for example, we had taxi... Uh, representatives there. Now, taxis were an issue during the incident at Radlett um, <clears throat> because people couldn't always get them, and the actual um, taxi operators' relationship with First Capital Connect had not gone well. Um, and, and we've brokered, because of last night's meeting, a meeting now with First Capital Connect and the taxi uh, operators so that in future, if a similar incident occurs, 
they'll have an understanding and a financial arrangement and so on uh, how it's going to work. Did and you say you've brokered, you've brokered a meeting? Because, you... again, um, because it was during school time, yes. school term time, there, there weren't sufficient buses okay. at the beginning of the incident. So uh, we said they've got to learn from Robert. that and they've got to arrange with more bus companies. Robert, sorry, did you, did you say you've, you've brokered a meeting between the, the train companies and the taxis? Yeah, at the meeting. They... they it, it, when is this taxi meeting going to happen? When is this taxi train meeting going to happen? I understood in the next fortnight. OK. Robert, listen, we've got to move on. Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, your time and for coming on and, and talking about it. I think it's a great idea that the councillors are meeting these train companies. And Robert seems happy with the outcome and, and the, the result, but was, was, was anything actually achieved? I don't know. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Now, think of a number. Good for you. Today is World Maths Day, which aims to get you excited about maths and numbers. Apparently 17 million people in the country don't have the maths ability of an average 11-year-old. You work out the stats. Our maths correspondent, Brainbox Dealey, has been in Luton testing you this morning. Morning, Brainbox. Yes, Ian, good morning, and happy World Maths Day to happy you, sir. Happy World Maths Day to you. I'm going to give you a Maths Day hug when you come back. Oh, and I'm I've looking got your, forward I've to it. I've got your card and your Maths Day cake here, sir. <laughs> Can't wait. Can't wait. It's been an interesting morning. Uh, lots of questions already. Ian, I've been out into the streets of Luton with a clipboard this morning that contains <laughs> maths questions. Wow, you're living the dream. I really am. So it's been an interesting morning, and this is what happens. Well, here's Lucas. Lucas, you're from Lithuania, currently working in Lucent. You're wearing glasses. That must mean you're intelligent. Is that correct? Maybe, yes. OK, here's your question. What's 250 times 8? It's, uh, 1,750... No, keep going. Uh, 250 times 8. You're almost there. <laughs> I thought you were intelligent with the glasses. I just woke up. <laughs> oh, it's uh, 1,800. No, that, it's no? 2,000. It's 2,000. 250 times oh, 8 yeah. is 2,000. Oh, my God. Graham, how are you going to be celebrating World Maths Day? Lots it's planned? Oh, loads. It's <laughs> <laughs> OK. Here's your question. What is the mean value of these numbers? 20, 6, 10, and 24, the mean value of those numbers? Three. No, it's 15. Oh, sorry. See you later. OK, thanks. And here's Sir Glenn, who's a taxi driver. Sir Glenn, somebody just failed on this question. 250 times 8. 250 times 8. It's 200,000? No, 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 it's not 200,000, no. Do you want to keep going? Then 2 million. No, it's not 2 million. <laughs> <laughs> the answer's 2,000. Ah. Yeah. John, third time lucky on this question. 250 times 8. Come on, surely you can well, solve it. It's a little it. bit early in the morning, but 250 times 8 is... <laughs> Come on. 1,000. 1,000? It's not 1,000. Keep going. 500. No, it's not 500. 250 times 8. I've lost it now. <laughs> 2,000. 2,000 at last. Well, John, you work in finance, so you must be pretty good at maths, then. I'm OK. You're OK. Are you shocked it's taken a few attempts to get 250 times 8 correct? Yes. <laughs> OK. Here's your question. A house is sold for £400,000. The estate agent is paid 3% of £400,000. How much does the estate agent receive? 12000 Wow. How good is that? That was just straight away. There you no, go. There's the answer. I think maybe it's a generational thing as well. Yeah? But, yeah, potentially. Because uh, maths was fairly important in the curriculum when I was at school, which is 40-odd years ago. 250 times 8 yep. is 2 million. Yeah. 
That was brilliant, oh, wasn't it? Three attempts as well, 250 <laughs> times eight. I've gone out, Ian. That's the first question. I thought, you know what? The first question, we'll get that one out of the way. And there you go. Even the third person, it took oh. him three goes to get that correct. What is going on this we're morning? Gonna, we're going to put that, that. I genuinely think that's one of the funniest things I've heard you do. We'll put that out as an audio boot today. Okay. We shall share that with the, with the, the general public because that that is. Well, well Daly, you don't get off scot free. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's your question. Okay. Uh, and we think we may have the answer to this. I'm not sure. A man lives in the top floor of an apartment. On a wet day, he goes to work. When he comes home, he rides in the lift to the top floor to his flat. On a dry day, he gets out of floor early and walks up the stairs to his flat. Why? Yeah, yeah. Um, hang on. I think I'm losing you. Uh, d- uh, I'm losing you. Justin, are you still there? Are you still there? Such an idiot. Such an idiot. I'm having words with him. He's not getting his maths day card now. Here's the travel with Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Anti-clockwise on the M25, still queuing following an earlier vehicle fire around Junction 15 at the M4. Congestion still back to 18 at Chorleywood. All lanes have been reopened, but it's going to take you over an hour to get through that stretch, I'm afraid. And also anti-clockwise, again, one lane still closed and uh, lots of traffic following a multi-vehicle accident between 26 at Waltham Abbey and 25 at the A10 for Enfield. Congestion back to 28 at the Brook Street roundabout. And heading through Rosham as well, the A418 in both directions is queuing at the moment around Fruhouse Lane in the roadworks area and the A602 as well through Watternet Stone very slow at the moment between the A119 and the A602 at Ware Road the roadworks there causing the problems as well everything else not looking too bad a few usual delays on the A1 and the A10 but nothing that's going to hold you up for too long trains are looking good on the departure boards Sophie Tyler BBC Three Counties Radio Morning, it's 7.46. It's Wednesday the 6th of March. I'm Ian Lee and these are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. A Hatfield nurse is criticising Addenbrooke's hospital staff for putting her father on the Liverpool care pathway without consulting the family. The Director of Public Prosecutions, Keir Starmer, is announcing an overhaul of the way the justice system deals with allegations of sexual offences against children. In sport, bad weather meant no play was possible on the opening day of the first test between England and New Zealand in Dunedin. Coming up, the cost of a funeral could be about to go up by 36% in Wellin and Hatfield. Before 8am, I'll be finding out why it's becoming so expensive. But before that, let's get the weather with Kate Kinsella. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, it's a very different day to yesterday. No real sunshine to look forward to today. Just plenty of cloud and a bit of light rain and drizzle as well. Now, temperatures outside at the moment, quite a mixed bag, really. Uh, Through parts of Buckinghamshire and South Hertfordshire, we're looking at temperatures around 6 or 7 Celsius. But as you get up into Bedfordshire, it's around 2 or 3 Celsius, so quite a bit cooler. And that's mainly due to the mist and fog, which is just creeping into Bedfordshire. Now, there is a bit of light rain and drizzle around and that's going to continue through much of the day as well maximum temperature 11 celsius 52 degrees in fahrenheit overnight we are hanging on to the cloud uh, which means temperatures are staying quite mild that's seven celsius the minimum 45 degrees in fahrenheit but it will be accompanied with more in the way of widespread light rain and drizzle now for tomorrow it's a repeat performance really and for friday as well the only difference really as we head through the rest of the week is the temperature is slowly getting colder that's your forecast uh kate 
Yes. We, we, well, I, I wasn't listening, but I've been told by a member of my production team, you're getting very frustrated listening to yeah, those maths. I know, but I'm no, I'm no better. Well, you, but seriously, eight uh, times 250, two million? <laughs> you're better than that. Here's a question that was set, was set by oh. Katie from Le- Leighton Buzzard. Oh. How many... No, no don't worry. How okay. many beans make five? <laughs> uh, no, I, this was a genuine question. I don't know the answer, but how many beans make five? Is that not some kind of corporate question to do with a brand? Oh, oh, you mean like a bit of a Heinz 57? Yeah. Oh, you could be onto the Kate. We will find out, hopefully, or hopefully we'll find out before nine o'clock. See, that's the, the kind of lateral thinking we need on this show. There are so many ways to listen to Three Counties Radio on FM 95.5, 103.8 and 104.5 on AM 630 and 1161 online at bbc.co.uk/3counties. And now on DAB Digital Radio, search for us BBC 3CR, bringing local radio to you in more ways than ever. BBC Three Counties Radio. Okay, this, be- this bean question that, that was set to us by Katie from Leighton Buzzard. How many beans make five? Frankie's from Dunstable. Morning, Frankie. Morning. Uh, I'm, uh, my head is melting a little bit. I come to work so I don't have to think. Uh, and all morning I've been thinking. Do you, do you, did you even understand this question from Katie? Yes, because when I was younger, my great-uncle told me it, and then I just remembered it from then. Oh, okay. What, what you say when you were younger. How old are you now, Frankie? Thirteen. <laughs> wow, so all, all those years ago. All right, Frankie, go on. What, what, what's the answer according to your great uncle? To bean a bean, a bean and a half and a half a bean. Um, sorry, could you, could you do that in English? <laughs> to bean a bean, a bean and a half and a half a bean. What does that mean? <laughs> a bit, a bean. Well, who's that in the background? That's my mum. Yeah, let me speak to your mum, Frankie. That was brilliant. I, I, I need to speak to your mum. Hang on a second. Mum. Yes, come on, mum. Mum! Yes! Mum's too embarrassed. No, Frankie, go and take the phone to Mum and put it in her face now. <laughs> now. I want Mum. No, she won't. Oh she saw on the radio last time and she's too embarrassed. She, oh, OK. Well, well listen, to, we've, got a tw- we've got a tweet here. Look, um, I think you're right, Frankie, although I don't understand why. But uh, Beth says, a bean, a bean, half a bean, a bean and half and a bean. I don't know what that means, though. What does that mean? It's just different ways of saying how many beans there are. Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> Frankie, uh, uh, thank you so much for, for calling in. I think. I think. And thank you, Mum. We'll get Frankie's mum on one day. Uh, th- th- another one. Look, my dad always taught me it was bean, bean, half a bean, bean and a half bean. Katie says, one bean, two bean, one and a half and a half a bean. What? I don't know what... You got the answer, didn't you, producer Laura, from, <laughs> from Katie, who is, is on the band list yeah. now. Uh, what, what, what is it? I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to keep you going until nine o'clock until you understand uh, it. Uh, oh, for goodness sakes. I'm never going to understand... How am I going to understand nonsense? You lot, dear listener, it turns out... I, I thought that listening to BBC Local Radio, you'd be a sensible bunch. Oh, boy, was I wrong. You're the heart rejects. You've com- completely confused me. Now... <clears throat> 08459 455 555 is the uh, telephone number if you want to give us a call. Um, am I playing this audio at the top of this? or Because I've got no little introduction for the audio. Shall I just um, play it and, and... Oh, there it is now. Look, it's just popped up. Thank you. <clears throat> the cost of a funeral in Welling and Hatfield could be about... You see, my brain is melting. I'm struggling 
to, to even do the show, because I'm thinking of beans. The cost of a funeral in Welling and Hatfield could be about to go up as part of the local authority's budget plans. All elements of a funeral will cost more. An additional plaque will go up by 36% to £150. The cost of scattering ashes set to rise from 220 to £250. Well, Theresa Lavers from Stockfold found arranging a funeral was very expensive indeed. Awful experience. Just over two years ago, it was an absolute dreadful experience. When this happens, you don't know quite what to do at the time. You're in a state of shock and you think you're going to get the best. You ring for the best and you hope to get the best, but you don't always get the best. What about the costs of a funeral? Are they too steep now? It cost over £3,000 just for a basic funeral. We had no cars. We used our own cars. We arranged our own flowers. We arranged a church service. We arranged all the printing of the service. We did all we wanted was a basic funeral, a nice basic funeral. And it was just horrendous. And we had to pay £1,000 down before they even did a thing. What about all the extra costs? How do you see that in terms of arranging a funeral? Absolutely robbing the dead or robbing the people um, that are left behind to have to pay or foot the bill for this funeral because every little thing they put on everything, you've got a terrific bill to face and I'm sure the person that has died wouldn't want that or wouldn't wouldn't appreciate it either. Well, we can speak now to Ben Yetz, who's a Labour councillor in Welland Hatfield. Morning, Ben. Good morning, how are you uh, doing? Yeah, very well, thank you. We've also got Welland Hatfield Conservative Councillor Colin Couch. Good morning, Colin. Yes, good morning to you. Colin, we'll come to you in a second. Ben, what's your reaction to the increased cemetery charges? Um, well, when I first heard about it, it, it just struck me as a death tax. And I think it's one of the most regressive policies that Welland Hatfield Council has come up with to pay for the government's economic failure. So why is why are th- 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 these charges going up so much? And it is a significant amount when when, when people are at the, the, their weakest. Well, absolutely, and, and that's why I think. Well, it's shameful to be honest. I, I, to be honest, I don't think it's acceptable to charge any money just for the scattering of ashes. Um, you'd think that death would finally be the moment when the council would stop testing you for money, but clearly they disagree with me on this one. Colin, it's shameful. Yes, it's very easy to be critical when you don't have to manage the whole process yourself. I regret what that lady said earlier on, your earlier speaker, because I'm afraid a lot of those costs are incurred by the undertakers and not by the cemetery themselves. OK, but the cost of an additional plaque is going to go up by 36%? The cost of shattering, uh, scattering ashes is going up by 30 quid? Yes, they're, they're the exception. The, the, the actual cemetery is actually used for burying people for the most part, but we have to maintain uh, the cemetery so that we can do all those different things. Well, how can you justify an extra £30 on scattering ashes? Where's, where's, the, where's the cost for the cemetery? Well, of course, we, we have to get staff to do that. In fact, we don't do it for nothing. We have a contractor who has to do that, has to look after the ground, has to maintain it, make it look pretty, keep the roses uh, trimmed and everything else. I'm afraid it comes at a cost. And unfortunately, as much as Councillor Yetz says that it's um, it's a a death on tax. In fact, what it is is trying to be uh, real now about what we do. It doesn't mention the fact that we are a unique borough council whereby we do not charge to bury children 12 and under. Now, that's quite unique throughout the country. Uh, I'm afraid we, we tend to ignore that. And also, we've brought down the costs of the chapel, and we have brought down some costs, but overall, we're having to meet now the actual costs. And uh, there are government grants, as council yet said, and, and that is a problem for us. It's, it's a very challenging time. You are introducing new charges as well, aren't you? Yeah, mo- most of the charges are going up slightly, um, and that's because of the actual cost we've got to meet. For many years now in our borough, we've tried to keep the cost down. Unfortunately, now we're in this financial situation, and I'm afraid we can no purchase, longer do that. Per- Colin, purchase of a rose is £100, is that right? 
I, I don't have the, all the lists in front of me. I try to have some of them, but I, I can it, tell you... Is that we, right? Purchase of a rose is £100. Well, I, I, I don't have that list in front of me. What I could say was... Is For that, cremation. Is well, that, we, we, don't, we don't supply... Does that sound right? Does that sound right? Well, it, it, it may well do it if, if that's what's being charged by the undertaker. No, these are not from the undertakers. Well, it, it, we, we do roses, but we don't do bunches of roses. A rose, I'm being told, a rose for cremation is £100. Well, it may be for cremation. Yes. No, Pro- I, producer Laura, you've got the stats in front of you. Tell me what you're seeing. Yeah, we've, Hang got, on. we've got a list of all of the um, charges, the increase of the charges, as well as additional charges. There are various additional charges um, which are listed. Cemetery fees, cremated remains. Some of the examples going up include burial of ashes into the memorial garden going up by 10.48%. Renewal of a licence for 75 years is going up by 16%. And also listed is the purchase of a rose, an additional charge of £100 um, and a purchase of a plaque, an increase of a charge of 150. Colin, come on, well, seriously. Well, I've got the list in front of me. That says a standard rose. Right. And, that, and that's because we have to buy them, we have to plant them, we have to maintain them. I'll get your rose for a quid. We look your... after them. Don't forget that. We don't just plant them you and leave Colin, them Colin, you cannot justify a rose for £100. I'll get you one for a quid. If you, <laughs> if you can get me a standard rose for that, we'll do business with well, you. The, 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 ben, what do you think about this? Well, I'm, I'm a zero, to be totally honest. I haven't got the list in front of me. Um, it's, it's good to see that your colleague came uh, more prepared for this discussion than I did. Uh, but it's just, to me, this basically just underlines what's going on across the country. Yeah. The, the cost but of Ben, the, the, Colin does make a good point, that they, they do have to maintain the, the graveyards, they do have to pay people's wages. The, the, surely, uh, if you look at it that way, an increase in, in fees is understandable. Well, perhaps. I mean, yeah, obviously you've got maintenance costs. Obviously you do. Um, but I don't see how you can justify charging an extra £30 for scattering ashes. I don't, I don't see what maintenance is required in, in doing that. The cost of living is soaring at the moment, and it, it seems now that in Wenham Hatfield even the cost of dying is soaring. Colin? Well, I'm, I'm afraid dying does have its costs. It has costs by the undertakers, and it has costs of running a cemetery, which we have to do. We can't run it at a loss. I'm afraid that's a fact of life. And as things go up slowly, as costs go up, as staff costs go up, we have to meet those. It's a very challenging time. It's easy to be critical. It's very difficult to manage. You say things going up slowly, though. That these are significant increases, aren't they? They are, because we, over the years, over the last five years, we've tried to keep costs down. But I'm afraid now we've actually put our costs up in line with other local authorities. We just can't manage to be kind anymore. Even when it comes to death? <laughs> we try to treat people as... If you went to the Lawn Cemetery, you would see how we try to keep it looking really nice for, for those that have lost their beloved people. Um, for, what, for, a par- we do? Yes, for a representative for, from a party that does sometimes get the tag the nasty party, to, to say in regards to death and funerals, we can't afford to be nice anymore, that does that, sound a little cold. Yeah, that's, that's in terms of charges. I'm afraid we now have to be realistic about these We can't things. afford to be kind anymore. All right, we, we can't afford to be kind about our charges anymore. We try to keep them down as far as possible, but I'm afraid there comes a time when we can't do that any longer. Well, Colin, thank you very much indeed. The last voice you heard there was uh, well in Hatfield Conservative Councillor Colin Couch, who just said on this show, uh, in regards to people's funeral expenses, we can't afford to be kind anymore. And the other voice you heard there was Ben Yetz, who is a Labour councillor in well in Hatfield. 08459 455 555. What's your take on that? A little bit later than normal, here's the travel news now with Sophie. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio.
Anti-clockwise on the M25, still queuing following the earlier vehicle fire at Junction 15 at the M4. Congestion are now back to 20 at Kings Langley. can take you well over an hour to get through that stretch. Also queuing anti-clockwise again between 26 at Waltham Abbey and 25 at the A10 for Enfield. Following an earlier accident, congestion at back to 28 at the Brook Street roundabout. Through Rosham, the A418 is also still queuing at the moment in both directions at Brewhouse Lane, all due to the ongoing roadworks. So it could be said as well at the A602 heading through Watton at Stone, queuing at the moment between Ware Road and the A11-9. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties. Thank you, Sophie. Wow, there you go, you heard it. A Conservative councillor saying when it comes to death and funerals, we can't afford to be kind anymore. What do you think? Is he right or is he cold? We'll speak to you after the news with Catherine. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, it's eight o'clock. The headline, serious questions after Stevenage man's care pathway death, attempted murder arrest in Aylesbury, and survey suggests modern childhood ends at 12. BBC Three Counties Radio. A Hatfield nurse is demanding answers after her father was put on the Liverpool care pathway without consultation. Susan Phillips, who has professional experience of the process, says Addenbrooke's hospital staff only informed her once a systematic replacement of treatment with palliative care was underway. She told BBC Look East his condition didn't seem serious enough. During the time when he was in the neuro CCU, he did, when he was weaned off a bit more of the sedation, actually give non-verbal indications that he was actually hearing what we were saying and understanding what we were saying to him by, you know, nodding and pointing at the tube in and, and at the catheter. He didn't like that. So we did have some sort of hope that actually it wasn't all that bad. Adam Brooks Hospital have opened an investigation and there'll be more on this coming up next with Ian Lee. A 37-year-old man's been arrested on suspicion of attempted murder after an attack on a woman in Aylesbury yesterday. The victim's being treated for head and arm injuries and is currently in a stable condition. But police are appealing for anyone who saw anything unusual to come forward in the Belgrave Road and Rabens Lane Industrial Estate between 11am and 12.30pm. The Director of Public Prosecutions, Keir Starmer, is to announce an overhaul of the way the legal system deals with allegations of sexual offences against children. Mr Starmer will say the accounts of victims have been treated too cautiously in the past. If somebody does not report early that something has happened to them, if they go back to the alleged perpetrator, if they're affected by drink and drugs, uh, they have been used in the past as tests of credibility. But you only have to look at the grooming cases for a moment to see that they're the very characteristics that make some of those victims very vulnerable. The cost of a funeral in Wellin and Hatfield could be about to rise by 36%. As part of the local authority's budget plans, all elements of a funeral will cost more, with even the cost of scattering ashes rising from £220 to £250. A new survey from the online forum Netmum suggests today's children are growing up faster than their parents did. The study of over a 1,000 parents of children aged from 7 to 13 concludes that childhood ends at 12 for this generation of young people. Sue Atkins is the author of Raising Happy Children. I go into schools doing confident classes for kids and you do see children being far more aware of sex and how they look and their body, you know, their body image than perhaps many, many years ago when kids were kind of a bit more innocent. So I think parents have to take kind of responsibility for what their kids see on TV, what, you know, talk and uh, teach them about these things really and try and keep them young, you know. 
Sport now and no cricket was possible on the opening day of the first test between England and New Zealand in Dunedin due to rain and bad light. The weather cloudy but mostly dry with a top temperature of 11 degrees Celsius. That's 52 degrees Fahrenheit. There's more news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. First for news. Hey up, Chuck. Hello? <sighs> Dear, I don't know what I did there. Such offences trying to speak in a native tongue. I don't quite know what uh, went wrong. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's been a very busy uh, uh, and I would say frustrating morning. These maths problems are really. Uh, we thought it'll be a little bit of fun. It's actually making my ears bleed. Uh, it is World Maths Day, and we've got lots of problems for you. One in- involves beans, and thanks to Katie and Leighton Buzzard, who's asked, How many beans make five? I, uh, I give up. Slightly more serious things that we're talking about this morning, including, uh, including the following. We're going to hear the story of a Hatfield nurse whose father was put on the Liverpool care pathway. She says the family wasn't consulted. He was left without water, food or oxygen support for the last eight days of his life. A modern childhood now ends at just 12 years old, according to a report out today. Well, do you think kids are growing up too quickly? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text, 81333, start your text 3CR, or you can give me a phone call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, a nurse from Hatfield whose father died on the Liverpool Care Pathway in Addenbrooke's hospital is complaining he was left without water, food or oxygen support for the last eight days of his life. Bob Gould, a retired factory manager, had been critically ill with a broken back and bleeding on his brain after falling down the stairs at his home in Stevenage. Well, earlier on in the show, I spoke to Bob's daughter, Susan, and she explained what happened. They said Dad was stable, there was no need to rush up, come at one o'clock, normal visiting time, no problem at all. When we got up there at about half past one that day, I have never, ever in any of my nursing career seen anything like it. My dad was behind the curtain with nobody. He was, everything was stripped of him. There was nothing there. He didn't have any oxygen on. He was sitting, sitting up in the bed, up, arms flailing everywhere, grabbing at the air, gasping, absolutely gasping for breath. So I said, when the nurse came behind the curtain, I said, what's happening? I said, where is everything? Why isn't he being fed? Because they'd already stopped the feed and everything on the Sunday because they said they had to take all the feed away before he was the tube was taken out because otherwise it would make him vomit. And then um, the, the nurse said to us, oh, he's on the LCP. He started, we started it this morning at 11 o'clock. We were going to talk about it to you when you got up here. The leaflets it's on there. Then they said, oh, we'll call the end-of-life facilitator down to, to speak to you about it. She came down, and we spoke to her, but she was just trying to explain to me, who already is a nurse, and I have looked after patients on the LCP, what the LCP actually does. And I said, well, you don't need to explain that to me. And we were in such a state trying to get back to my dad, but we were led to believe that for some reason, death was imminent, and it was going to happen quite soon. But obviously... That didn't happen. Well, the Hospice of St Francis in Berkhamsted has experts in the field who provide people to train local hospitals in the use of the LCP. And the director, Dr Ros Taylor, is in the studio. Now, morning. Morning, Ian. You heard a bit of uh, Susan's story there. Yeah. The system let her, her family and her dad down, didn't it? Sounds as though it did. Um... I've been thinking about dying a lot lately Mm. because there's been so much in the news and on TV. And I think perhaps at the heart of this is something called shared decision making. Mm. 
which is about patient and family-centred care. So if doctors and nurses do believe that time is short, and they must have had reason with Susan's father to think that, the absolute key concern is to share those worries and concerns and then agree with the patient if possible Mm. and definitely Susan Mm. what's the best way forward what needs to be stopped what needs to be started how he should be treated because her story is awful the thing that struck me particularly about Susan's story was the fact that she wasn't told he was going to be on the LCB she kind of went in one morning and went what's happening oh he's on the LCB Mm. There's, there's a leaflet over there for you yes that seems particularly insensitive and cold doesn't it it does um something's gone wrong there it sort of sounds as though compassion has sort of leaked away Mm. particularly from that case and that sort of information is never given by a leaflet shouldn't be given by a leaflet it should be given face to face sensitively by people who are confident with those conversations and normally it is isn't it because i I don't want this to be a complete oh the lcp it's terrible it's just it's a way for people to die it, the the theory and the basis behind it is is sound, isn't it? Explain to people exactly what it is and, and how it's meant to work in in an ideal situation. Okay, ideally, doctors and nurses and the whole team and the family and perhaps even the patient and often the patient agree that time is short and that direction of care needs to change. And the focus should be perhaps a bit less on aggressive treatment, tests, tubes, intensive care, and more on comfort. And that means having the right medicines available to treat agitation to treat the gasping that we just heard about which sounds awful um and really allow the family and the patient time together for whatever time is left it might be three days might be eight days might be a bit longer but really to agree on what's the right thing to do and that's all the lcp is Mm. it's about having conversations and agreeing what's best and making sure the medicines are there. I was going to say, it's, and it's not normally a complete withdrawal of all medicines and all breathing apparatus. No, it absolutely shouldn't no. be. If you need oxygen to help you breathe and stop you gasping, then that should be continued. If you need fluids, then that should be continued. It's about looking at each of those choices. Um, and there's something important to remember here, because a few years ago, a big study of complaints in the NHS was done, and a lot of complaints are about poor care of the dying, and a lot of those complaints actually focus on poor communication. And the LCP, the Liverpool Care Pathway, was introduced to try and help that, not make it worse. And at the heart of the LCP is have conversations with the family. And where that doesn't happen, that's when bad things happen mm. that we're hearing about in the newspapers in, in terms of having conversations susan is a nurse and she has kind of you know been involved in the lcp in the past herself supposing the doctor said look we, we really think that your dad is coming close to the end this is what we'd like to do yes and she had said no no i, I disagree i said no we're not going to do that we're going to carry on treating him aggressively would her views have been listened to and and would they have been followed or would the doctor who has the final say Okay, final say is difficult. I think that's when we get back to shared decision-making. What's most important is perhaps what the patient wants, and that gets back to us thinking ahead. I think it's difficult to think about how you'd like to die, Mm. but, for instance, if I suddenly had a serious illness, I know that I wouldn't want people to jump up and down and get my heart going again if it stopped. I wouldn't want to go onto a kidney machine. I wouldn't want to go to intensive care. Those are my choices. I've written them down mm. in something called an advanced decision to refuse treatment. Um, so it's important for us to think ahead and it's important for us, for our families to know what we'd like. So when the time comes, if Susan's dad hadn't been able to say what he wanted, then at least Susan would know what his wishes were. And he might wanted 
to have everything tried to eke out the last moments mm. of life. Or she might have known that actually he just wants to be kept comfortable, not gasping, not in pain. So I think the decision making is based on what the patient wants, what the family wants and what the doctors and nurses think is best. And you should come to an agreement. And that's the conversation. How could... Because I, I do think that the, the, the LCP in, in, in principle is great. How could it get so seriously misunderstood and, and, and wrong, used wrongly? I think perhaps because in some situations it's used as a tick box and the communication doesn't happen because doctors and nurses are worried and avoid that conversation or put it off till later. That situation should never happen people shouldn't be put on a pathway of care or change direction of care until the conversations have happened mm. i think i don't know the exact details of susan's case but it sounds the conversation was missed somewhere where have you um, kept this information about how what you want to happen to you if so, something bad should happen to you okay well i've got it my sister's got it and mm. my gp has got it right um i agree that's always a bit of a risk that i might end up in a casualty department somewhere and nobody would know yep. but i'm doing the best to make sure that my wishes are known and do people have to stick to that if, 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 oh no if you're supposing your sister says well yeah i know this is what she wanted but i would like her to stick around for a little bit longer she owes me some cash or something can she your sister i guess could override that could she well actually a properly signed and witnessed um advanced decision to refuse trip treatment is actually legally binding so um i hope my sister wouldn't knowing her she might decide to override my decision um but i think all we can do is do our best share our um thoughts with people Mm. and there is an increased focus on that and i think we'll see less of the sad decision sad decisions at the end of life it's that weird thing isn't it because uh none of us most of us don't plan because we're going to live forever i'm never going to get ill and i'm going to be around forever so why should i tell people around me what i want to happen if i'm approaching death or we don't discuss it do we no we don't and i think you've hit the nail on the head ian we are very ill at ease with death and dying we are all going to live forever and so we put off these difficult conversations and medicine again is about cure and cure Mm. and keeping people alive and you can always do one more thing Mm. um so sometimes we have to pause and say should we do one more thing Mm. and or should we agree that time is short and focus on comfort ros fascinating thank you very much i just read out the statement from uh, adam brooks adam brooks told the bbc it was dedicated to compassionate end of life care and it would learn any lessons that were needed from this case the hospital will not start a formal investigation until after the coroner has finished his inquiry and a spokesman for the hospital said people die and our job is to look after them compassionately and care for them and give them the right clinical care and communicate with them and their families dr ros taylor from st francis in berkhamsted thank you very much for coming in always nice to see you 08459 455555 let's get the travel news now sophie tyler Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Anti-clockwise on the M25 is queuing at the moment following an earlier vehicle fire at Junction 15 at the M4. Congestion still back to tw- uh, 20 at Kings Langley. Going to take you over an hour to get through that stretch, I'm afraid. Also still looking slow with delays around a half an hour between at Junction 26 at Waltham Abbey and 25 at the A10 for Enfield. Also following an earlier accident with congestion back before Junction 27 at the M11. Now the A418 just heading through Rosham is still queuing at the moment as well. Just around Bruhan 
Greenhouse Lane. That is all due to the roadworks area. And uh, also the A602 through Watton at Stone are having the same problems due to the roadworks. Queuing in particular between the A119 at Ware Road and the A602 as well. Everything else not looking too bad. The A1 and the A10 moving a little bit slowly where you'd expect, but nothing that's going to hold you up for too long. Trains aren't looking too bad either. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Nice to see you. Just saying goodbye to our guests. Thank you very much, Sophie. Right, it's 8.16. It's Wednesday the 6th of March. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. A Hatfield nurse is demanding answers after her father was put on the Liverpool Care pathway without consultation. A 37-year-old man is being held on suspicion of attempted murder following an attack in Aylesbury yesterday. In sport, Manchester United failed to reach the quarter-finals of the Champions League after losing 2-1 to Real Madrid last night. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks cloudy, but mostly dry with a top temperature of 11 degrees. Coming up, it's World Maths Day! Yay! We've got a number of problems for you today. One involves beans. Katie and Leighton Buzzard asks, how many beans make five? Well, I'll be putting that question to Jonathan Vernon-Smith in just a few short minutes. BBC Three Counties Radio. Nick Coffer on BBC Three Counties Radio. No two days are ever the same on my programme. That's because I get to meet passionate local people. As usual, over a pint in the Queen's Head one night in Amtoo, we said, hey, why don't we have a, a pop-up cinema? And we just got together and we convert Parkside Hall into a cinema. Play loads of great music. The Birds, Mr Tambourine Man. Tell me which other show on the radio goes from Leanne Rhymes to Elvis Presley. And sometimes I try to learn new skills. And then you've got the white thread basically connected to these bobbins, which... Don't make... rubble, oh, don't mess oh, them oh, up. Did. I do... may have messed them up. Nick Coffer, Monday to Saturday from 12 on BBC Three Counties Radio. Hey! hey. Jonathan Vernon-Smith, always lovely to see you. You're yes. looking... Well, I'm not sure whether it's good to see you this morning i heard your impression of me and my colleague tim what do you what do you mean tim for, it, for anyone that's only just tuned in ian did an impression of uh, my program a yeah. little earlier we're going to replay it after 11 no. so my listeners can hear no no well you you are i th- it, i think the i think it was very accurate i don't understand well from 11 we're going to replay it and we're going to see if the listeners think it sounds like my show i think i think i've got tim spot on oh Jeff, oh, oh. Right, so that's uh, that's <laughs> how did you do my voice? I can't do it in front of you. Come on, come on. Come on. I can't. Come on. Come on. <laughs> it's kind of quite similar to Tim. Go on. <laughs> I can't, because all I've got is, oh, I can't play on my car now. <laughs> oh, I can't play on my car. <laughs> right. Have you got a se- Is it a serious one? Or is it a, a- <laughs> hey, no, we can, we can, we can move from, from uh, Tim not playing Aaron's is tired to that without... No, no, maybe we should just play this. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio.
Joined in the studio by Jonathan Vernon-Smith. What's on your show today, Jonathan? Well, coming up at uh, nine on the big phone-in, we're, we're continuing with this discussion you've been having this morning. Um, you've been talking about whether children are growing up too quickly, and I think it's safe to say from the uh, responses you've had, I think most people seem to think that they are growing up too quickly. Yes. Well, from nine this morning, I want to know what's to blame for it. Why are children growing up too quickly? Childhood now ends for many youngsters by the age of 12. That's according to a survey of parents. It reveals that many believe their sons and daughters grow up faster and are under greater pressure than previous generations. Around 7 in 10 said their child stopped being childlike by the age of 12, while around a third said their youngster's childhood lasted only until they were 10. Well, from 9 this morning, I want to know what's to blame for all of this. Why are children growing up too quickly? Some of the children near where I live, the, the young girls... But boys, I don't think it's such a problem with. Young girls, if you're... You've got two boys, haven't you? Yes, I have. I think you should breathe a sigh of relief. Yep. I think it's much easier if you've got boys. I think it is, definitely. The way some of the young girls dress... Um, I was sat at a, at a, a zebra crossing... These three young girls cross the road. They must have been like seven, eight, and nine. Mm. They've got skirts up to up to here, mm-hmm. little kind of skimpy tops. Got makeup on. I thought, what's going on with these? Children are yep. these young girls look like young women? They've now. been completely sexualized. Totally, absolutely. But what's what is sexualizing those children? What what is it that is making the children want to dress like that, mm. and making the parents allow them to dress like that? That's the other thing. I mean, if you were, if you did have girls, would you allow them to go out dressed like that? No. At no. nine? I mean, and, and there's always been that kind of rebellion with girls. I, I remember um, my sister going out in a long skirt and she'd go out, she'd go around the corner and she'd hoik it up, you know, two or three inches. There's always been that kind of rebellion against parents and what you make them wear. But yes, it, it, it would appear that uh, it's, it's, it's completely inappropriate for, for them to look like that, isn't it? Well, from nine, we'll discuss some of the things that may be to blame for children growing up too quickly. And uh, I'd love your stories and your views as usual on the big phone in oh, eight four five nine four double five five five. the reason i was doing the impression of you i've just remembered is because i thought you were quite rude to me when you came on the show earlier, well, earlier. on well jonathan came on the show i'm having problems with my tv it's only five years old and i have um i've spent many a happy hour sat in front of that tv flicking away and i love it absolutely love it i've seen some amazing programs on that tv and it's it's starting to die a little bit and now if if you just said, oh, I was having a good job about it, Friday. You can't do nothing about it. What do you say? Oh, I can't do nothing about it. <laughs> and, yeah, if, if, if some Muppet phones up your show, all right, Jonathan, yeah, I bought a twig 15 years ago and I just broke it. Right, well, this is outrageous. This is really it's not, uh, not satisfactory quality. What are we going to do? I mean, Tim, could you get on the phone to the company that made this twig? Oh, I'll find out a company I might have twig. No problem. That's what you do. Me? You mugged me off. You totally mugged me off. Well, I like to think we have a relationship where I can just be direct. No, this is not satisfactory quality. This tweak should have lasted more than 15 years. I'm going to... Tim, can we get this company on... Oh, I thought I was coming about... I thought I was coming about... I thought I was coming about... like a karate kid. <laughs> Across beds, hearts and bugs, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh, i tell you why I'm in this mood. It's because of these... Flipping maths questions. It's maths day. Happy maths day, everybody. These maths questions. We've got so many on the go. We've got one about fish. We've got one about soldiers wearing metal hats. We've got a fella going upstairs in a lift. Or is he? And we've also got beans. 
Thank you so much. The question was set. How many beans make five? We've got Jackie in High Wycombe and Michael in Turvey. Good morning, ja- Jackie. Morning, Michael. Morning. Morning. Jackie, you go first. How many beans make five? One bean, two bean, bean and a half, and half a bean. What does that mean? Slowly. One bean, plus two beans, plus a bean and a half, plus a half a bean. Michael, Five. Michael, d- tell me she's talking nonsense. Well, I'm afraid she's got it wrong because rhythmically it goes like this. Two beans a bean, one half beans and half a bean. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Well, I don't understand it. It's like you're. It's like everybody like who listens to the show. They said, "I know what. Tomorrow we're going to totally stitch Ian up by talking nonsense to him, so he thinks he's gone mad." <laughs> what does it mean, Jackie? Um, it's five beans. <laughs> At the end of the day. <laughs> how? How is that? Fi- I don't understand. Please, I'm no. How is that five beans? There's one bean plus two beans, that's three beans, and a bean and a half, that's four and a half beans, and a half a bean is five. Michael, are you winding me up? No, no, no. I was told it by my father when I was a child, and he was told it by his grandfather, and I think it was just a silly silly sort of riddle. But um, I don't know of any <laughs> hidden meaning. But I'm sure my, my two beans a bean, one half beans, and half a bean is, is the correct way of saying it. <laughs> Jackie, Jackie and Highwick and Michael and Turvey, uh, I, I want to say thank you, but I, do you know what? I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. And you, I don't just put, put up six texts on my screen that say the same thing. I'm not going to say it out six times. Oh, for goodness sakes. Deary, deary me. 08459 455 555. I'm losing my patience now. Hey, well, as you just said, Jonathan Vernon-Smith is going to be talking about this after nine, but children are growing up too quickly. That's according to Netmums, who've conducted a study of over a 1,000 parents of children aged 7 to 13. Their research found that 89% of parents say kids are growing up faster than a generation ago. Well, Dr Claire Bailey is a child psychologist from Beaconsfield and founder of Parenting Matters. Morning, Doctor. Good morning. What do you think of this research? Well, I I mean, I think a lot of parents are finding the same. And actually, hearing your discussion about beans, often I think teenagers make parents feel like that when they're trying to explain why they should and ought to and be able to do what they want to do and you're going uh what how did they persuade me into that Mm. um i think it's becoming i'm seeing a lot of parents who are concerned about it because uh, i mean there's statistics saying that you know children are four years ahead of their time now in terms of pushing at the boundaries um i think it's uh, one of the problems is they just don't have the maturity for kind of where they're going um, and there's a sort of certain irony at the moment that um, in the context that actually a lot of parents are micromanaging their children and uh, making a lot of decisions for them, um, protecting them completely for all the right reasons that they care about them. But actually then that, the result of that is that a lot of children are possibly less mature and less able to make good decisions than they maybe were generation previously. Uh, the thing so that, that makes it even harder for them when they're kind of, you know, wanting to get out there, go to parties earlier, be kind of sexually active, younger. The thing that I keep, I keep going back to is I remember being seven years old and being allowed out on my bike and being told, you come home before it gets dark. And that was kind of it. I had certain parameters that I had to stay in, but you, you get home before you're dark. Absolutely. We don't let 12, 13-year-olds out on their own now. No, quite. And, you know, how much did you gain from going out and doing that? You learned how to sort things out for yourself, make your own choices when things got, went wrong. You developed the resilience 
to get home mm. and to, to, to manage situations where if you haven't had those experiences and suddenly, you know, the doors are open to you going to all-night parties and sleepovers and there may or may not be alcohol around, how prepared are you for it? And in the context where the media is pushing ever, you know, earlier sort of sexualisation, it, it, it makes it a really difficult mix. And it is that early sexualisation as well. We just JVS, who's, who's talking about this after nine, was, was saying about seeing some girls, you know, as young as eight or nine, wearing pretty inappropriate clothing for someone that age. And you do see it a lot. Well, what can we do to stop that? Or is it too late? I don't think it's ever too late. And I think a lot, you know, it, I think there probably has to be a national approach to you know, making media videos age-appropriate. Um, music videos, age-appropriate. Music videos are terrible, aren't they? Well, a lot, I, I don't want to sound like an old man, but I will. A lot of the pop videos now, they look like soft porn. Yes. And it's giving a really strong message. So, so you know, for girls, the, the um, overriding message seems to be how they look um, is, is of massive importance to them. And, and this is constantly, constantly re- reinforced. You know, are they skinny? Are they sexy looking? Have they got the right clothes on? And that's normal for girls, for for children to follow their peers. Mm. And very, very hard to help them, um, you know, to to stop them picking up what what are the mores in the the environment around them. It's a really, really hard challenge for parents. Dr Claire Bailey, thank you very much. The founder of Parenting Matters, a child psychologist from Beaconsfield. I realise that by me saying pop videos these days look like soft porn, I do sound like an old man. But, right, if you go back to like the, the pop of the early, say the mid-70s, you've got a bit of David Cassidy, you've got a bit of ABBA. Yes, ABBA wore those jumpsuits, but you didn't see their bums and their boobs. Right? You, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't see pretty much everything. You watch Rihanna or Lady Gaga or The Girls Aloud... I'm really struggling to sound, you know, name modern pop groups. It is kind of, you know, you would, you would only find those images hidden in a bush in the 70s. And you mark my words, producer Laura, when you have a daughter, which we know you're having because you've got big boobs, uh, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be thinking the same as me, that these, these pop videos, totally inappropriate. Oh, God, I sound so... I'm 40 this year. Did I mention that? Right, so let's get the... <laughs> did I mention that? Maybe once or twice. Let's get the travel news now. Here's Sophie Tyler. Hearts and Bucks Travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. We're having lots of problems on the motorways at the moment. Anti-clockwise on the M25. It's still queuing for over an hour following the earlier vehicle fire at Junction 15 at the M4. Congestion still back to 20 at Kings Langley. And also, again, anti-clockwise on the uh, exit slip road. One lane is closed following a broken down vehicle at Junction 25 at the A10 for Enfield. And it's still queuing as well following the earlier accident between 26 at Waltham Abbey and 25 at the A10. Congestion back before 27 at the M11. Can take you around half an hour to get through that stretch. Now also heading on the A418 at Rosham, it is still queuing following the roadworks at Brewhouse Lane. Same can be said as well at Watton at Stone where the A602 is also still queuing just in Ware Road and the Wadesmill Road as well. Also um, looking fairly busy at the moment, where you'd expect on the A1 and the A10. Everything else though not too bad. Trains are moving nicely at the moment. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much Sophie. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. 
Good morning with the 8.30 headlines. I'm Catherine Boyle. A nurse from Hatfield is demanding answers after her father was put on the Liverpool care pathway without consultation with the family. A 37-year-old man's being held on suspicion of attempted murder following an attack in Aylesbury yesterday. And Director of Public Prosecutions Keir Starmer is to announce an overhaul of the way the legal system deals with allegations of sexual offences against children. Beds, Hearts and Bucks Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Rain and bad light meant no play was possible on the opening day of the first test between England and New Zealand in Dunedin. Meanwhile, England spinner Graham Swan's been ruled out of the series due to a long-standing elbow injury. In football, Manchester United are out of the Champions League, beaten 2-1 by Real Madrid and losing 3-2 overall in their last 16 tie. The Real Madrid manager, Jose Mourinho, admitted his side had been lucky. I tried to be honest and be honest is, uh, is to say that in my opinion... The best team lost, but that's football. Championship side Watford won 2-1 against Sheffield Wednesday at Vicarage Road. Hornets boss Gianfranco Zola admitted it was a struggle. It was tough because they played well in the first half. Uh, they did really cause a lot of problems to us, but, uh, but it happens, you know, sometimes you can always be on your top. Milton Keynes-Dons won 3-0 against Doncaster at Stadium MK. Manager Carl Robinson was pleased with his side's performance and those three points. That's, that's us at our best and we've not seen it often enough. Um, the reasons for that, suspensions and injuries. Um, but tonight I've been able to put the front four out that I wanted to put out at the start of the season. Stevenage won 1-0 against Brentford at the Lamex Stadium. Here's our borough boss Gary Smith saw it. From start to finish we looked a real side that were competing for something special um, and I think the performance tonight belied our form in the last half a dozen games for sure. And Luton drew nil-nil away to Nuneaton. Hatter's boss John Still said his side lacked opportunities. I thought it was a scrappy game. don't think we played particularly well. Pleased with a clean sheet. Uh, but we have to be better in, in, in the opposing team's half. And we, weren't, we were Saturday, but we weren't today. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at nine o'clock. Uh, Catherine. Yes. I owe an apology. <laughs> Just no, one. No. <laughs> Uh, I've just been on the Facebook page and Margaret Robson has, uh, has commented, the presenter Ian Lee behaves like a ten-year-old. His comment to Catherine Boyle after she read the news was offensive and since he has presented, I switch off. Oh dear. For those who missed it, the comment was, I think, Eopchok? Was it that or was it by gum? It was one of the two. Or other, you know, stereotypes. Something. I mean, you're, you're from the north, from the Yorkshires or something. I'm from Manchester. Yeah. So uh, I, I just want to say to, to Margaret Robson and to you, I am sorry, love. Yes. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up in the next 30 minutes before JVS at night. You have confused me all today. We've set you a number of maths problems. One's got to do with the lift. Another one's got to do with helmets in the First World War. Those ones are, are, are up on the Facebook page. And there's another one about how many beans make five. Um, Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. We'll get all of the answers before nine o'clock. Uh, Sandra's from Wing- Wingrave. You, you've got another take on this bean, how many beans make five. Yeah, I have. I have been. So the answer is one. The answer is one? Yeah. Go on. So, if you think about the alphabet, being a maths question, because the answer with the bean and the bean and a half a bean and all of that rubbish, that's not really mathematical. No. But if you look at the alphabet, so A, B, C, G, E, yeah. the letter E equals the fifth letter of the alphabet. Yes. So, the, so that, the answer is one. How, how is the answer one? Because how many beans make five? 
So, in other words, in the alphabet oh. there, oh. what is what is the letter that relates to five? E. I see. So, it won. Yeah. That that makes slightly more sense than the other nonsense the people have been calling up with, but but only slightly. Well, Sandra, listen, keep listening because in a, our next guest might be able to help us with that. Sandra, thank you very much. It is we're talking about this because it's World Maths Day. Seventeen million people in the country don't have the maths ability of an average eleven-year-old. And maths, you kind of think. Oh. Oh, really? Well, I didn't really like math when I was at school and when I was young. There was one person, right, one person who could get me even remotely excited about maths. He's from Buckinghamshire. He's on the line now. It's only Mr Johnny Ball. Good morning, Johnny. Good morning, good morning. How are you, sir? Are you all right? I'm very, I'm very well, very well, yes. We I'm s- not sure about the beans make five equals one. I, I, <laughs> do you know how many beans make five? Uh, well, um, from, 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 no, not really, only <laughs> <than> five. <laughs> you see, um, five is just a number. Yes. So five beans make five beans, but five doesn't make beans, and beans doesn't make five, if you understand what I mean. I don't, so, I, I don't think I do. I'm going to go home today, I think. <laughs> Johnny, we, 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 we struggle as a nation with, with maths, don't we? Why, why do people not think of numbers anymore and enjoy maths? We don't need to, because we don't need to. We don't use it. You know, our, our tools do everything. Our machines do things for us. You know, we, we don't have to do sums. We don't, I do my VAT because I enjoy doing it. But every three months, I add three pages of figures up. Only once every three months. So I really stay in trim with that. But it isn't enough to say I'm good uh, uh, numerically, uh, good in in numeracy anymore, because I'm not. And it it doesn't matter. You see, we keep getting bogged down with this idea of of numeracy Mm. um, being being so essential. Maths is essential, and an understanding of maths is essential. And that's what we do. That's where our technology goes. Galileo said, maths underpins everything we do. If you understand the mathematics or something, you can understand anything in the universe. And that's true. Cannibals flying through the air. They take parabolic curves. But so does a ball being centred on a football match by a, by a winger, you know. But we don't teach kids the maths of that. But I know the maths of that, and it's absolutely beautiful. Um, did you just say, you know, did, did, did you say you enjoy doing your VAT receipts? Oh, I enjoy that. Yes, a little exercise. I can add it up very quickly, yeah. <clears throat> had the figures up very quickly, but I used to do it. <clears throat> I did it when, when I started work, there, there were comptometer operators, girls who actually did the calculations for you. Yeah. But because I was only 16, they left mine till last. So I had to do it as myself. So when I was 16, I learned to multiply double figures together virtually instantly. I can't do it now, don't ask me. <laughs> I was doing okay. But I could do then. And, and that's what maths is all about. You use the maths you need. You need the maths you use. And that's what it's all about. So the thing about school is we, we, we scare the kids to death because, oh, you know, very good numerous, in, in numeracy. They could be bored with it. It could be going too slow for them. They could be fed up because they've been asked so many times to do the same thing. And, and they might have brilliant mathematical ability, but unless we stretch them, unless we show them the branches of mathematics, then, then we're not going to help. So how do we do it then, Johnny? Because you, I, I remember watching you when I was a youngster and always thinking, I wish he was my maths teacher, because you made maths and science sound exciting. How do we get that in the classroom? 
But I never asked the audience to do a sum. No. I never asked the audience to multiply seven times eight. I didn't do it. I showed them how things work. I just showed them things and say, isn't that clear? Isn't that amazing? Today, so many people are gambling and they have no conception of the gamble they're taking. Let's take the lottery. How much of the lottery money actually goes in prize money? 45%, which means it's less than uh, um, half a chance of the money coming back to the people who put it in. Now, that's terrible odds. That really is dread. That's the worst odds of all. But all the gambling now that is being encouraged through television adverts, it's similarly bad gambling. The odds are set so much against you that they can give you £10 or £20 start. That should be illegal. Because you're hooking people in, mm. and people don't understand that gambling is very dangerous. Because it's 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 something we get used to, and suddenly suddenly becomes addictive. It's something we're doing all the time. So we've got to stop this, or teach people what the true odds are and what the true chances of them winning is. Johnny, you're off uh, to a school today, and you what are you up to? Yeah, well, it's Maths Day, and they they, they call me every World's Maths Day. So I'm talking to uh, a couple of hundred kids twice. Um, in, in the morning, <laughs> and then I need to lie down with a wet rag uh, <laughs> over my face. Um, and, and really, I talk about what mass does. I mean, th- look, this is disgraceful. Please forgive me, everybody, but I'll tell you this. Listen, when a gentleman, are you ready for this? I, th- I think so. I'm hovering over the fader. Yes, go on. It, right. When a gentleman goes to the toilet in the urinal and pees against the wall, Imagine a line coming from <clears throat> where the pee comes out yes. to the wall, yes. straight across, then down the wall to where the PB hits the wall, <laughs> then back across and then up, forming a rectangle. Yes. <clears throat> if a line went diagonally from corner to corner across a rectangle, it would split it exactly into two. Ooh. But it doesn't. Your wee-wee goes in a curve. How does that curve split that rectangle? It's exactly one third of the rectangle above the uh, <laughs> wee-wee curve and two-thirds below. Now, that's beautiful. <laughs> Maybe when you do it, it, yes. And you won't forget it. Johnny, are, are you gonna be, you're going to be t- t- teaching this to school children today, are you? I won't do that. I don't do that <laughs> to primary schools. I do that to fifth, fifth formers. Johnny, and, but I don't do it to young. Johnny, listen, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to talk to you again, so thank you so much. We have to end it there because I want to squeeze in Justin, but that's that's fantastic. Johnny Ball, and you, you, listen, if you, you, when I was growing up, that man made science and maths fun. He did a science and maths programme, right? Think of a number. All these other things <clears throat> on children's TV. And we watched it willingly because he made it fun. Well, Justin Dealey, you've been in Luton this morning, haven't you, <laughs> testing people's math skills? And, and, and have you been measuring their wee-wee? Uh, that was absolutely wonderful. Isn't it brilliant? Ball on top form this morning. Uh, happy World Maths Day once again. Happy Ian, World Maths Day, Justin. I even have a voiceover for this feature. Uh, here are the words of James Stathaway. Celebrate World Maths Day with Ian Lee on the BBC, Three Counties Radio. I love numbers. Enjoy that, Ian? <laughs> I'll let you know. I'll send yes, you a letter. Okay. Um, so, Ian, I've been out to the streets of Luton this morning, armed with maths questions. Now, for those that missed us in the first hour, it took three attempts to answer correctly oh. 250 times eight. It was an absolute nightmare. Someone thought it was two million. Yeah. <laughs> if you missed Jeez. it, listen again on the iPlayer. Well, that question has caused problems once again. Take a listen to this. Now, Jill, this question caused outrage earlier on uh, 250 times 8 uh... <laughs> come on Jill no oh, I can't get my head around it um, 250 250 times 8 I can't get my head around that I'm sorry 
You can't even give us a guess? I'd say... Oh, I'm trying to think. I can't. I ain't got me thinking that I'm sorry. No. The answer's 2,000. Is it all right, 2,000? Yeah. Take that information and use it wisely. Thank you, Jill. Thank you. Ian, this question is causing problems again this morning. 250 times 8. What's the answer? 1,500. 1, no, hang on. 2,000. What's your final answer? 250 by 8 yeah. is 2,000. Well done. How do you feel? I had to think about it for a second. <laughs> Again, Phil, people are struggling with this question. 250 times 8, what's the answer? 2,000. Oh, straight away. Straight away. Were you good at, uh, good at maths at school then? Try to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually got that one. Can I give you one more? Yeah, go for it. Okay, here we go. In Moscow, the temperature at midday is 8 degrees Celsius. Yep. And the temperature at midnight is minus 3. Yeah. How much does the temperature change? 5 degrees. No, keep going. 9 degrees? No, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in, in Moscow, the temperature at midday is 8 degrees Celsius. The temperature at midnight is minus 3. How much has that temperature changed by? 13 degrees. The answer's 11. 11? Yeah. Oh. I thought you was good. I thought I was good. <laughs> well, Charlotte, happy World Maths Day to you. How are you going to be celebrating today? <laughs> <laughs> Celebrating Maths Day. Now, there's a question. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Got lots of things planned, then? Uh, I'm going to work, so, yes, it'll be business as usual, I'm afraid. OK. Were you any good at mean values when you were at school? No. OK, I'm going to ask you this question. Somebody failed at this earlier on. Oh, what is the mean value of these numbers? 26, 10 and 24. The mean value of these numbers, 26, 10 and 24. Come on, Charlotte, you can do this. <laughs> uh, 15. Correct. Well done. Thank How you. do you feel? <laughs> oh, ecstatic. I'm very pleased. You feel ecstatic, don't you? Mm, yes, you do, I do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she was good, though. She was good. She, she was Somebody good. failed earlier on, but she got it spot on. She was, and that poor fella with the eight times 250. Oh, I know. I know. 1,000. <laughs> 12, 15, <laughs> 2,000. Uh, who would have thought that question? Seriously, I've got a qu- probably list here of about 10 or 15 questions. Yep. That was the easiest one. That was question number one. Get that out of the way quickly. But it's the one that everyone has been stumped on. I can't believe that. Hey, Justin, are you going to go to the um, BBC Three Counties Maths Day party later on today? Yes, yes. I'll be there. I'll be there with my calculator. Looking forward to that one. I'm dressing up as a multiplication symbol. <laughs> right. I can't wait. See you later on. See Ta-ta. You uh, Justin Daly, excellent form this morning. Well done, Justin. That, that, that's Sony Bronze, if ever I heard it. 8.45. is the travel news now with Sophie Tyler. Beds, hearts and bucks travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Anti-clockwise on the M25, we have one lane closed on the exit slit road following a broken down vehicle at Junction 25 at the A10 for Enfield. Anti-clockwise again, still very slow between 20 at Kings Langley all the way through to 16 at the M40. Usual morning delays are not helped by the earlier vehicle fire at Junction 15 and the A418 in both directions through Rosham is also still queuing just around Brewhouse Lane in the roadworks area. Also having a similar problem at Watton at Stone where the A602 is also queuing between the A119 and and at Ware Road at the A602. That is, again, in the roadworks area there. A1 still looking busy where you'd expect around Roxton and the uh, Barnet Bypass. A10 also busy through Chesnut at the moment and Enfield. Trains are looking good, however. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Sophie. Right, it's 8.46, Wednesday the 6th of March. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. A Hatfield nurse is demanding answers after her father was put on the Liverpool Care pathway without consultation. A 37-year-old man is being held on suspicion of attempted murder following an attack in Aylesbury yesterday. 
In sport, rain and bad light meant no play was possible on the opening day of the first test between England and New Zealand in Dunedin. Coming up, we've set you a number of maths problems this morning. One's to do with a lift, another one's got something to do with helmets. And how many beans make five? We'll get the answers before nine o'clock, but here's the weather with Kate Kinsella. Beds, hearts and bugs weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, it's a bit of a different day today than yesterday, I'm afraid. Less in the way of sunshine, more in the way of grey cloud and uh, light patchy rain. Now, we're already seeing it right the way across the three counties this morning. And also temperature-wise, towards the south, um, we're looking at six or seven Celsius outside at the moment. Uh, Towards uh, Bedfordshire, we're looking at more two or three Celsius. So there's a bit of a divide. And the further north, the more foggy it is as well. There is a bit of fog mixed in there and also some that light rain I was talking about that's moving across us at the moment so it's a rather glum day I'm afraid after yesterday's um, spring-like day today is a little bit different now top temperature we're looking at 11 celsius 32 degrees in Fahrenheit we're hanging on to the cloud overnight as well and the drizzle as well but that's going to become a little more persistent as we get through to tomorrow morning but temperatures remaining relatively mild so no frost for Thursday minimum temperature down to 7 celsius 45 degrees in Fahrenheit and it's a repeat performance for Thursday and Friday only difference is it's getting colder. That's your forecast. Thank you very much. Red Nose Day is back. So get ready to raise some cash. This year for Comic Relief, I'm going to be raising money by sitting in a bath of tuna for hours. By baking for a cake shell. I'm going to tell jokes non-stop for six hours. This year for Comic Relief, I'm going to dye my hair with red spots. How will you raise money for Red Nose Day? Join the fundraisers and do something funny for money. For your free fundraising kit, search online for Red Nose Day. Right, lots to cram in before ni- now and nine o'clock, including all the answers to all of those qu- maths questions. One of the things that's been bothering me today, I bought a TV five years ago. It's starting to die. It's kind of on its way out. 1,200 quid. Do I get it repaired or do I get a new one? Well, Ian Banks is a former TV repairman. He's now an author and works in the area of men's health. Morning, Ian. Good morning. I know know your dilemma because it happened to me only very recently. What did you do? Well, it's not all good news, I'm afraid. In the days of the 60s, when I was actually fixed televisions, because um, we had valves those days, and yep. you could see they glowed, and they were beautiful, and, and, and when they didn't glow, it was a great clue that they weren't working, so you just pull one out and put a new one in. And it was all really quite simple, and you could follow things like a road map inside a TV. Now, it looks more like a computer. Mm. When you go inside a, a TV... It's more like a computer. There's no big tube anymore. Everything is in little chips. And so really, you're very limited what you can do. So the answer to your question is, yes, you can get some things repaired, but it depends what's wrong with the television. How, how much does it cost to repair? Because I remember I grew up in the 70s and the TV repairman was round every other week. And he'd take the, all right, take the back off, have a little <laughs> fiddle, give it a bang, put something in, and it would work again for a little while. Uh, how much does it cost to get a TV repairman out these days? Well, it'll, it'll be quite expensive. Incidentally, the television repairmen of those days you're talking about all had strange hairstyles, if you remember. That was because all the hair used to stand on end. They did, didn't they? very high voltage in the back <laughs> of those TVs. And if you touched it, all your hair stood on end. I remember uh, as well, this is, this is the 70s, I remember a TV repairman coming round. I, I, yeah. I'm the TV, he had a fag on at the same time. That's right. He had a fag on, because my dad was a smoker, so he had a fag on while he was unscrewing the TV. 
Wonderful. That's right. Don't forget, they used to work around the back while they were watching at the front, so they couldn't actually see what their hands were doing, which is why, because <laughs> they kept touching these electric things. Never shake hands with a TV repairman mm, while no. he's actually working in the back, otherwise you'll get a shock as well. The answer to your question is it's very expensive nowadays. To get a television set repaired is very expensive because even if, there's, even if they don't think it's worth repairing, they'll still charge you for bringing the TV in, unless, of course, they're very nice people. Yeah. Um, but they will charge you to go in and actually have a look inside the, 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 the set and see what it is. Sometimes it's something really simple, like a switch, you know, that, that just for turning the thing on or off. Sometimes it's very difficult to even find that switch on modern television, how you switch the things on and off. But it depends upon what's wrong with it. And what is a good idea to do is to bring it into the to them with you, yeah. actually say to them, have a quick look, see what you think. Is it worth repairing or should I buy another one? And a good, a good repairman will actually give you good advice and, and won't take any money from you my tv 1200 quid five years ago i'm looking at online now 490 pounds the same tv it, yeah it, it's what i might as well just junk it mightn't i well this is the thing so you don't forget you used to be have your home broken into for people stealing your tv sets nowadays they never bother bothering um, taking the tv sets because who wants a second-hand tv anymore and because of all the digital things that took over of course they are now really just computers they're not um, they're not television sets anymore there's no big tube in them so i think it's it's difficult for people because they things change so rapidly uh, and the argument is is that once it goes past a certain age and you can't get the parts and so on and so you have to buy something new but isn't it a terrible thing in society that we're throwing away mm. these beautiful television sets and beautiful computers just because we say oh it's not worth repairing Ian that's the thing I've got to cram so much in Ian Banks thank you very much former TV repairman now writes about men's health there's a, a shift it, it, it's right though I, I hate this throw I'll oh, throw it away get another one I hate that I still kind of remember we'll fix it we'll get it we're not getting rid of that there's nothing wrong with that we'll just get it fixed a quick uh, look at some of your texts. Ian, throw it away. Do not buy another one, as TV now is rubbish, so save your money, says Dave. Um, Facebook, Jane says, for that kind of money, I would get it repaired, but get an estimate first. Jervain says, wow, that's an expensive TV. It, it was kind of top of the range five years ago. I'd be reluctant to scrap it at that price, too. Michael says, as a, a long-time ex-repairman, check all external connections to the TV. Done that. If the problem doesn't go away, treat the family to a new one. TVs are so clever now, they can go on the internet and everything. Hey, happy maths day, everybody. I hope you've had uh, a great time. Earlier on in the show, uh, a math magician, Dr Graham Lawler, the author of Understanding Maths, set us a couple of problems. He's joined us now. Graham! Hi. I remembered why we've not had you on for six months. <laughs> because you are a nightmare. <laughs> now, we've... <laughs> we've had... Uh, let, let, let's go through these one at a time, OK? Um, uh, oh, Katie and Luton... Uh, Katie and Leighton, sorry. You knew the answers to these as well, didn't you? Well, I made up my own answers, Let's Liam. Let's do the first one, Graham. Let's see if Katie's got it right. A man lives in the top floor of an apartment. On a wet day, he goes to work. And when he comes home, he rides in the lift to the top floor to his flat on a dry day he gets out of floor early and walks up the stairs to his flat now katie what was your answer for this my answer was that he's too short to reach the top button and when it's raining he's got his umbrella with him Graham? and he can use that is she right absolutely correct is it's not maths <laughs> it's, it's, it's a... logic it's thinking <laughs> yes it is you're, you're good okay katie i'm not so sure about your answer for the next one <laughs> katie uh, during the first world war 
Oh, and by the way, we had so many people saying uh, he got the date of when um, steel caps were introduced into the army. It was uh, actually 1915. Oh, for goodness sakes. During the First World War, they introduced metal helmets in the Battle of the Somme, but the number of head injuries went up, not down. Katie, what was your reason for this? My reason was that they forgot they were wearing helmets and they kept hitting their heads. She's not right there, is she, Graham? No. No. No, the, the answer is what Catherine said. Catherine was spot on. The answer is, you, before mental helmets, you didn't get a head injury. You got shot dead. So what happened was when they introduced metal helmets, you would expect head injuries to go up because men's yeah. lives were being saved by the... So the Catherine Boyle got, got it right. Well, h- hang on a second. <laughs> Who's that? Who, hang on. Who, who's talking? I'm sorry, that's my talking watch. I'm registered blind. Oh, and, and what is your... <laughs> <laughs> it's all about it's all maths. Yes. What is your t- talking watch? Why have you got it set for five minutes to nine? Because I have somebody calls me twice a day, oh. once in the morning, once at night, oh. and I have to put my um, um, my little telephone on. Oh. I switch it on. Your pocket telephone. Yes. Yeah. I switch it on, and he calls me just to make sure I'm all right, oh. not laying on the floor. Okay, you're not laying on the floor now, are you, Katie? No, no well, you... I'm hiding behind the settee, because you said I was banned. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we'll we'll lift that ban. <laughs> Graham, just... just uh, Katie has set us her own question, Graham. Mm-hmm. And... <sighs> Katie, would you like to tell Graham your, your maths question, yes, please? It's, it's so simple. Oh. If you can count, it's one bean... Yes. Two beans, yes, a bean oh. and a half, doing that again. and a half a bean, the same as people have been ringing oh. in and telling so you. So the question is, how many beans make, make five? five. Right. One bean, two beans, bean and a half, and half a bean. <laughs> this is actually, um, this is actually a question that's come down over a couple of hundred years, yes, through generations, and the original meaning has been lost by a lot of people. Originally, it was to do with working on an abacus, and then the beads on an abacus in some areas are called beans. Oh, yes. And it was originally a phrase, you know, like Bruce Forsyth will have to say, nice to see you to see your knife. That's right. It was originally a phrase, how many beans make five would be a phrase where you say, he know, he's, he's a clever chap, or right. he's a clever woman, he knows how many beans make five. Right. Because they were good on the abacus. Oh. That's where it originally comes from. I remember it from when I was a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was born in 1927. Yeah, be about the right time, though. Yes. Yeah, and it comes back from sort of the Victorian times and, and uh, beyond there, yes. where you had to be good on the abacus in order to calculate. So I, I, did work, I did use an abacus when I was small. Well, there you go. <laughs> Graham, well, th- Graham, I'm going to put this on you then. I, uh, earlier in the show, I did ban Katie from, from <laughs> even listening to the show. Do I keep that ban in place or do I let her listen and call in again? Oh, no, she's lovely. You've got to let her listen. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, Kate, Katie, you get a reprieve. I do, don't I? Now go, go and sit on your sofa, don't lie on the floor and wait for the call from your friend. And thank you for being a good sport, Katie. <laughs> OK, I'll go and switch my phone on. You go and switch your pocket telephone on, thank you. And Graham, listen, I, I, d- d- thank you, I guess, thank you, <laughs> for, for the fun in inverted commas. Yeah, it's going to be a good day. <laughs> what are you doing to celebrate, uh, well, Maths Day today, Graham? Well, I'm actually preparing some, because I'm a writer now, I'm preparing some work for primary school children, which we will be publishing later on in the year. Oh, what's, what, what's that about? It's, it's a math stuff. And yeah. it, it actually is going to be stuff on uh, number work and, um, and, and numeracy. I heard Johnny talking about numeracy. Uh, and, you know, the fact is numeracy to maths is like spelling to English. You've got to be able to do it. <laughs> 
Do, can you believe that Johnny Ball, the, the legend, who he should be knighted if he's not been already, he he gets off on doing his VAT receipts? Absolutely. <laughs> I have a financial accountant who does that sort of thing for me. <laughs> so, you, so you don't go as far as that. But it did make you giggle like a schoolgirl, though. Uh, well, yeah. I thought, mm, yeah, OK. Graham, listen, He's all, a great guy, though. He's a legend. Graham, and, and so are you, sir. Thank you so much for the fun this morning. It's nice to talk to you. We'll speak Good to you again to soon. Graham Lawler, math magician and all-round uh, frustrating gentleman. But uh, he, he got us thinking. And it turns out Katie was not speaking complete nonsense. We will let Katie listen. and We may, we may even... Let Katie call in again. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'll have to think about that. And well done, Catherine Boyle, for getting the hat question right. Makes up for all the bullying that she's been enduring all day. Right. Oh, we can breathe again. It's the travel news now. Here's Sophie. Beds, hearts and bugs travel. BBC Three Counties Radio. Anti-clockwise on the M25. We still have a lane closed on the exit slip road following a broken down vehicle at Junction 25 at the A10 for Enfield. Also still looking very start-stop all the way through from 20 at Kings Langley to 16 at the M40. The usual morning delays then not helped by the earlier vehicle fire around Junction 15. Now heading through Rosham, the A418 is still queuing at the moment. It's in uh, both directions, particularly around Brewhouse Lane in the roadworks area there, so adding to the morning delays. Same can be said around the A602 as well at Watton at Stone, queuing there between Ware Road and Wades Mill Road, again in the roadworks area. Everything else not too bad, a little bit busy on the A. 10 through Chesant and the A1 at the Barnet Bypass. Trains still looking good, however. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you to everybody who took part in the show today. I thought, who'd have thought World Maths Day could be so much fun? Uh, I'll be back tomorrow at six o'clock. Stick around because JVS is up next. And to JVS, I say, happy World Maths Day, JVS. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Sadly, I'm numerically dyslexic. So it's not a happy day for me. Good morning. Welcome to the JVS Show. I'm Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Coming up on today...